Like, ah, that's great. That's great. All right. We are about to begin, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Punk Rock Barbershop coming to you from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, also known as Marion Anderson City. Mm -hmm. And on the Punk Rock Barbershop, we have black artists and black creatives that are engaged in a long form conversation with me your host michael robertson reed and the folks are going to be talking about their origin stories their career trajectories the white artists that have influenced them how they feel about those influences and how all of that stuff is coming together in the person they are today and I'm very excited uh, because I have um, someone who uh, this is the first time that I've met them in person. We've talked a, a bit, actually kind of extensively via email. Um, but yeah, this is, you know, I'm I'm slightly ascending in my world of getting uh, celebrities on this uh, <laughs> on this podcast. So guest, can you tell us who you are? What is your name? Yes, my name is John LeVar Morrison. Oh, Middle name named after LeVar Burton. That is super awesome. That is super awesome. I was like, because my mind immediately went to LeVar Burton because yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a huge Star Trek The Next Generation fan. It's the best one. It is it's absolutely the best, the best one. one. I am so glad that you said yeah, that. Yeah. So glad that you said that. So John LeVar Morrison. Mm -hmm. And so you do a couple of, you, you have several, uh, I guess, like lanes and vocations of art that you are engaged in. Yeah, yeah. Can you uh, tell the good people what those things are? Yeah, um, primarily I'm a DJ, producer, uh, writer. Probably, yeah, maybe writing is uh, my primary thing. Okay. It's, it's what I do day to day yeah. for money. You know what I mean? I'm a music writer. Um, I also host a radio show, Culture Cypher Radio, on WXPN 88.5. It's the first and only hip-hop show that that station's had in mm, its mm -hmm. 50-year yeah, uh, yeah. you know, existence yeah. or whatever. Um, and I also host a podcast with my best friend in the whole wide world, Josh Lighty. We have a podcast called Serious Rap Shit. Yes, indeed. So, got a, um, a couple things. You got a couple of things. And yeah, so as you know, we were having a chance to chat briefly up in the living room about how I had heard about you. A couple of friends of mine had told me about the serious rap shit podcast. Mm -hmm. So they said, Oh, like, you know, this guy, you know, he's got he's got this really cool podcast, so you should check it out and maybe he will be on your podcast. So yeah. so that was really all that I knew about you. And then um in, you know, doing some research about that, that's when I learned about the radio show and the music and um yeah, I, I and so you you actually like get paid like writing music for like folks and well writing about music okay yeah all yeah, right yeah. yeah so all right so as as like a music journalist a kind of mm -hmm. like greg tate nelson george yes kind of thing a okay. thousand percent awesome amiri awesome. baraka right. was a huge influence so yeah absolutely uh, and so uh so uh, the amiri baraka greg tate sort of thing that we did just now i want to make sure i touch on this I'm making a conscious effort to, um, you know, to at least have a couple of notes written down so that, like, when I bring people in, I'm not just, like, riffing and talking off the top yeah, of my yeah. head. But so the um, – uh, so over the last couple of weeks, I've had a chance to listen to a couple of your podcast episodes. Uh, and then the most recent one that I was actually listening to this morning mm -hmm. when I was getting dressed um, – 
I forget what the main focus of it was, but you and your co-host Josh were talking about the Tyler Perry studio mm-hmm. in, down in Atlanta, which has been on my mind. My wife and I were actually talking about it last night. Yeah. But what I, I there are a couple of things that I'm like, oh, I like that they said this. I'm going to make sure I write this down. A couple of things was, one, I like that you all talked about um, – the hopefully the job opportunities that will will open up for black and brown folks behind the scenes, whether it's, you know, set design, uh, videographer, CGI artist or whatever. Absolutely. You also talked about um, and I think maybe Josh was going into this about how young folks who want to be involved in the world of sports who probably will not be an athlete, but general manager, statistician, trainer, things like that. Um, but then also, you know, I think yeah, you were talking about like the different writers that you had, um, you know, that you learned about as mm-hmm. you know as a young person, and you thought, oh, I can do this. But I remember you specifically mentioning Greg, Greg Tate, Dream Hampton, Amiri Baraka, um, and then I thought it was super cool, you know, because you were also like, oh, you know, because before that, you know, I only sort of knew about, and you mentioned like a couple of rock writers, but you mentioned Lester Bangs, mm-hmm. who, you know. Just anytime Lester Bangs is mentioned, I'm like, that's kind of one of the ears kind of perk up. Yeah, my ears perk up. So yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I wanted to, you know, just mention that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There, um, I, I was a, a reader as a kid. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, and a lot of the ways in which I discovered music and and uh interacted with music was through music journalism. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. So seeing, um, like I said, Dream Hampton. Yeah. Uh, Greg Tate, Bones Malone, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? All of these like brilliant yeah. black people write about black music with the kind of uh, care and uh, firsthand mm-hmm. knowledge and experience yeah. that white rock writers mm-hmm. could. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That made me see like, oh, okay, I can do that. Right. I can do right. that. You know what I mean? Like I grew up in hip hop culture. Mm-hmm. I grew up in black culture, yeah. obviously, I can explore the things that we create on a level that a lot of white critics can't. Right. You know what I mean? So it's, and they, they were doing it and living their lives mm-hmm. and like, you know, they had careers yeah. out of it. So that really inspired me, like, yo, I can do that too. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And was Greg Tate, was he at the Village Voice? Yes. Okay. Greg, Greg Tate wrote for the Village right. Voice in the 80s during like the like classic mm-hmm. Village Voice yeah. era. Um, but he also, the way I discovered him was uh, he had a column called Black Owned mm, in okay. Vibe Magazine okay. in the early 90s. And Black Owned, that was the first place I heard the phrase Afrofuturism. Mm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The first time I read about Sun Ra, mm, I knew mm-hmm. about Sun Ra yeah. living in Philly. Yeah. Um, but, um, I'm trying to think, uh, maybe, uh, the great black beatnik poet, uh, Bob Kaufman. Okay. That might've been the first time I read about Bob Kaufman. Okay. The New Yorkian poets. Yeah, yeah, Cafes, yeah. Mm-hmm. that whole scene. He, Greg Tate and that column is, is basically the DNA for everything that I try to do mm-hmm. now. Interesting. You know what I mean? He, he, ex- he exposed me to this brilliant world of like black art mm-hmm. and the avant-garde yeah. i'm sure it's the first time i read about uh basquiat was in Greg yeah. tate's yeah. column in vibe magazine yeah. so he's he's like super important it's a funny story um years ago do you remember uh rockers yeah when that was happening mm-hmm. I, for a brief time i was the resident dj at rockers okay and i remember one night 
it was in Fishtown, and and for folks who don't know, Rockers uh, was a longstanding uh, punk, hard rock, and metal showcase for like black yeah. bands that happened here in Philadelphia. It's founded by the band The Mighty Paradox, and for a while I was the the resident DJ. So one night I'm spinning and, you know, folks are like dancing mm-hmm. on the dance floor in between bands. And I threw on a George Clinton record mm. and I happened to look over at the bar and I see this old head come in and he's like by the bar. Mm. He's like mm-hmm. he's bouncing mm-hmm. to the music and he's bopping. And I'm like behind the turntables and I look, I'm like, motherfucker, that's Greg Tate. Awesome. That is great. Walked walked right in the rockers and was dancing to George Clinton. Nice. And it like it was probably like number two of like my greatest Mm -hmm. celebrity DJ moments in my life is amazing. That I love it. I love it. So I I think the first time that I heard of Greg Tate, because I didn't I honestly did not know about the village voice until I was in my twenties. And it's funny because um looking back on it, there was um, so there's a band called They Might Be Giants. I, oh, yeah. Yeah. So like That's that was right. that was probably that was the band that I loved the most when I was in middle school. And like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's very it's sort of like the genesis of like, you know, sort of like white alternative nerd rock. Right. But they, they they made a village voice reference on one of their songs. But like, mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was. So it's so yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh, there's a thing called the village voice. Right. But so anyways, but I think how I heard about Greg Tate is I think if I'm not mistaken, Greg Tate co-founded the Black Rock Coalition with Vernon Reed from Absolutely. Living Color. Because I knew about Living Color when I was a kid because, um, yeah, I was, you know, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. So Cult of Personality came out when I was in elementary school. I remember mm-hmm. seeing the video. And back then, I, you know, thought it was like, I'm like, oh, it's weird. It's like there's black dudes playing rock music because right, right. even though... I liked a lot of like rock and pop. I was still just very conditioned to be like, well, black people don't do it. Like, mm-hmm. and it's kind of weird that I like it. So I knew about them. And then when I consciously started really actively looking for other black rock music and musicians to, you know, to get into, I, you know, I bought, I guess it was vivid by living color. And then I was like looking at all the stuff. And mm-hmm. then, you know, it said like, you know, learn about, you know, learn more about black rock bands by going to the black rock coalition, you know, yeah. and this is in, 2002 so then like you know i went on aol or whatever because i don't think google was around and if it was i didn't have it and so you know whatever wonky website came up and it was like the black rock coalition vernon Mm -hmm. reed and greg tate and i'm like oh who's this greg tate guy and i I remember that website yeah (laughs) yeah so like that was real and i think it was maybe through just doing research about the black rock coalition which led me to greg tate i think is how i learned about really who Nelson George was. Right. And because, and I feel like I had like seen him in different documentaries and mm-hmm. it's like, oh yeah, like there's like the guy with the beard. But I'm like, oh, okay, now I know what this dude's name is. Yeah, so yeah, that was yeah. kind of my world, my intro into them. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so I want to, you know, sort of take things uh, back a bit and then, you know, walk through how you became the person that you are today. Mm-hmm. So so you are you're a Philly dude, is that correct? Yes, 100%. All right. Yeah, and so yeah, you yeah. you you were even born in Philadelphia. Born and raised, absolutely. Okay. So yeah. yeah, where um uh where where in Philly did you grow up? I'm from Uptown, West okay. Oak Lane. So Northwest mm-hmm. Philadelphia as they say. So yeah, yeah right around um 68th and Broad. Okay, yeah. So right before Broad Street ends. Right, right. That's where I was born. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, beautiful, beautiful. 
And so like uh, like kind of walk us through what was what was the West Oak Lane of your childhood like? Because so I've spent a little bit of time in West Oak Lane. You know, I'm mm-hmm. just a I'm a naturally curious person. So as soon yeah, as yeah. I got a car, like you know, I drove all around Philly, and I specifically like wanted to go to like all the different black spots in Philly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I mean, first time I was in West Oak Lane was. Let's just say 2006, right, you know, right, right. Um, and, you know, live in Germantown now, so fairly close by, but, mm-hmm. you know, I don't really know a lot of people that live there, so I'm not there that often. So, yeah, yeah, yeah what, what were your experiences in West Oak Lane? Um, growing up, it was it was funny. Um, West Oak Lane is in a lot of ways similar to how it is now. Um, overwhelming majority black folks, mm-hmm. yeah. you know what I mean? Um Lots of trees, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But um, it was, I, I grew up in the 80s, yeah. you know what I mean? And, um, well, I was born in the 80s and, and kind of, you know, I was a teenager in the 90s, yeah. right? So a lot of, uh, I was, I saw firsthand uh, the crack epidemic mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on a lot of different levels. Yeah. So we had a nice working class neighborhood, mm-hmm. but I also recall seeing people dead you mm-hmm, know what i mean mm-hmm. like um coming out onto the corner and like seeing the little multicolored crack vials yeah, yeah. like all out on the mm-hmm. street so you know it was it was it was an interesting um kind of uh tension between you know the folks that went to work every mm-hmm. morning yeah. and worked for like the city and they had a lot of black folks during that time and probably still today came from North Philly mm-hmm. to West Oak Lane mm-hmm. to settle. Um, so you had like the nine to five stuff. Right. And then you also had a drug culture. Um, you also had hip hop mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was it was it was interesting. A lot of my childhood, um through some like traumatic stuff. Like my sure. father was killed mm. when I was nine. Yeah, sorry to hear um, that. Yeah, thank you. It was, you know, is is a little is a little foggy sometimes, mm-hmm. yeah, you know what I no. mean? Which I I think is like, um, not to like you know turn this into Doctor Phil, but like uh, I think a lot of stuff, um, memory wise mm-hmm. doesn't show up sure. out of like trauma, yeah, you know no. what I mean? Yeah, so, no, that that's that's a real thing. That's yeah. a real thing. So, you know, it's, it was parts of it were very nice, parts of it not so nice. Sure, sure. Um, and a couple of things I'm like, I'm always wondering about, cause I'm, I'm super intrigued by city life and my, my dad is from Chicago. Like my dad's from the West side of mm-hmm. Chicago. Um, as far as you can remember, like for the, the families that were there, like were most of them like multi-generational Philly or like, or was there like a strong presence of like, oh, well, you know, all the grandparents are from the South, um, you know, or yeah, yeah to, I, to the degree that you can remember. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, um, yeah, a lot of folks who definitely their grandparents yeah. are from down south. Yeah. And it may be, you know, speaking on people in my age group, we're born and raised, mom and dad are born and raised in North Philly or mm-hmm. West Philly yeah. or whatever. And yeah, definitely grandparents from the south. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, all all five of my grandparents, because my dad's mom was married twice but yeah all all five of my grandparents were all born in the south oddly enough um a lot of them really grew up well no i guess it's like 50 50 my my dad's mom was born in tennessee but like 
they were all raised in Chicago, but they yeah. would they would invent intentionally go down to their hometown in Tennessee to have the kids born there. Oh, and then wow. bring them back. So it was They'd like just come back. Yeah, and then just come back. I wonder why. Yeah, I, I and I I wish that I had asked my grandmother when she was still living, like why like that was yeah. a thing. Because I'm like that. Okay, like yeah. I get it. I mean, and maybe it's like the comfort of being like on the sort of like ancestral home, but I'm like, yeah. that's kind of like a, a hike just for yeah. uh, for a baby, but it's cool. That is fascinating. Yeah. I've, I've never heard of that. Before, yeah. But yeah. 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 It's yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, my, um, my paternal grandmother's people are from Tennessee, like outside of Nashville. Mm-hmm. My dad's dad is from a small town in Georgia called Dublin, which I've actually, like I went to visit. Oh, wow. um, okay. Yeah. I even like drove past his like childhood home. Yeah, so like yeah, that yeah. was kind of cool. Um, my dad's stepdad is from Nebraska and he mostly grew up in South Central LA. And then on my mom's side, her mom is from Richmond, Virginia. And she, yeah, like grew up there and went to, um, uh, the big HBCU down there. I think Virginia Union University. Yeah. She went to VUU. Mm -hmm. Um, and her dad is from Raleigh, either Raleigh or Durham. But yeah, Yeah. my dad grew up in Chicago. My mom grew up in North Jersey, Inglewood. Oh, wow. Um, Okay. Yeah. So. That's did uh I mean like did you ever visit down south with any relatives? Oh yeah. Okay. Um my mother's side is from a town called uh Cairo, Georgia. Okay, yeah, I've heard of it. I've yeah. heard of it. Yeah, yeah, they it's funny. I was in a hospital last year and um I you know, harrowing experience yeah. that we'll probably talk about a little later, but um I started, it started, you know, you start to reevaluate mm-hmm. things. And I was like, yo, I don't even know that much about my people. You know right, what I mean? Yeah. So I, I remember being in the hospital room. I had my laptop and I was just Googling stuff on Cairo, Georgia. Yeah. And the day before I had that thought to Google and, and just look at YouTube videos yeah. of the town, they had gotten hit by a tornado mm. that like, wiped out a bunch of stuff yeah you know what i mean so it it was weird that Mm -hmm. that feeling Mm -hmm. to you know research kind of like came up in my spirit the day after that you know environmental event had happened yeah yeah so you know we definitely uh went to visit down south it was it was a little i remember one trip um excuse me i think it was the year before my father died we went down there for a family reunion, and I remember uh, it was hot. It yeah. was summertime. It yeah. was, like, blazing. And we're, like, asking our folks, like, yo, where's the pool? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, let's, yeah. let's go to the pool. Yeah. And I remember one of our relatives, I can't think of exactly who, but they were like, yo, um, we have to wait uh, to go to the pool because today's Tuesday, mm. and Tuesday's the day the white folks use the pool. Wow. And this was like 88. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I remember as a kid, because, you know, they taught us about Mm -hmm. segregation and Jim Crow. Yeah. And I was aware of that as a uh, historical, you know, uh, phenomenon as a kid. But I remember thinking, like, that's not supposed to still be happening, Mm -hmm. you know? But it was, yeah, it was weird. It was very interesting. One of my cousins uh, who lives in Georgia... Remember years ago when the whole Paula Dean thing mm-hmm. yeah. happened? Yeah. Do you remember the video when uh, Paula Dean was like, "I'm not racist. I got a black who's you know one of my right. best yeah. friends, yeah. and I love him like mm-hmm. a son. Mm-hmm. Come on out here, mm-hmm. boy. Mm-hmm. That was my cousin. Whoa. Yeah. Crazy. It's my cousin from Georgia. Man. My mom called me. Yeah. 
and was like, you see your cousin on TV with wow. Paula Deen? <laughs> I would have like yeah. YouTube and looked huh. at it. I was like, oh, shit. Man, of, of all the things that I thought we would discuss today, like I, I did not imagine in my wildest dreams, I never would have imagined that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Hey, it's, we've all. <laughs> That's fucking insane. That's insane. Oh, man. Ah. <laughs> okay. Sorry if that threw you no, off a little bit. No, uh, no, like it's good. It's good because uh, yeah, I just stuff like that. I always just think is like super fucking crazy. Like it's like oh, sh- I know that guy. Like yeah. that's I'm related to that person. Blew me away. Yeah, and my mom, my mom knows how I am mm-hmm. about you know blackness and mm-hmm. like pride yeah. and blackness because yeah. she's the same way. Yeah. she called me with the T like, yeah. "Yeah, that's your cousin wow. <laughs> out here cooning." Yeah. That's <laughs> like, that's Jesus fucking Christ. bonkers. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um. So something else that I'm I'm just always like wondering about is from a from a child's perspective, just growing up in West Oak Lane, like. Like what were really were like your fondest memories, and and one mm-hmm. of the reasons that you know I like to ask about this one is because um, you know um, I love just like hearing about people's childhood experiences. Yeah, that's yeah. just one thing I think that's super fascinating. Mm-hmm. Two, I think that there, I I so I really love reading biographies. I just love reading biographies in general. I love reading biographies that have taken place like years in the past because right. you know, I just think that like, you know, the past informs the future and all of that. Also, I love reading biographies really of like black folk. And cause I think one of the things that gets lost in the conversations just about black life, blackness is just like the warmth and beauty that like lives even under the most crazy circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, like I was even read, like I, I've in the past couple of months I've read, Elgin Baylor's autobiography and, oh, he, wow. and, he, and he just talks about like you know how crazy it was because he grew up in DC but like DC of the like the 30s and 40s when it oh. was like nigger get over there and like yeah, someone yeah. like tried to kidnap him at a at a, at a county fair what? or something and um like and he got in trouble at school just for like doing dumb kid shit like whatever right, right, right. but like you know a white police officer showed up and like made his dad like grovel and beg for forgiveness like we're not going to give your son back unless you oh, like like crazy stuff wow yeah you know but also you oh. know like but the you know but this the way that he talks about their tight knit black community it's just like mm-hmm. there's so much war- so much warmth and beauty that i'm like mm, a lot of that doesn't even exist now you know right, right. or um you know i've I've been trying to read Miles Davis's autobiography for the last, I don't know, year and a half. And it's just the one with uh, Quincy Troop. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And it's, and I'm just like, ah, it's, it's just like, I got to just fully commit the time to it. Yeah. But, yeah. but I've, I keep rereading like the beginning where he's talking about like living in East St. Louis and mm-hmm. his parents being Garveyites. And so like, I just, I love all of that. Yeah, yeah, um, so absolutely. yeah, just, you know, like what were, what were your warm, fond memories of, of West Oak Lane? Um, well, Childhood in general, yeah. uh, because our, our neighborhood uh, church was in North Philly, mm-hmm. actually, uh, Thankful Baptist Church on 16th and Allegheny. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, church was like, I, I adored church, mm-hmm. you know what yeah. I mean? Um, I'm, I think by default, a spiritual person. Sure. yeah. Um, I love black culture. Mm-hmm. I love black music. Yeah. So the church is like all of that. Yeah. bundled up into one you know it has its like problematic mm-hmm. elements yeah um but i i have a deep affection for the black church and then by extension black people mm-hmm. 
in general. Um, and I know that that comes from like warm, fond memories of, you know, uh, going to church as a kid. Um, I was kind of the kid who, cause I was a reader. Mm -hmm. I was like a writer of poetry yeah. and all of that stuff. So it was my job when, before the pastor would speak, I would go up and speak and then like deliver the message or yeah. whatever. And then like introduce him. Mm, and then okay. He would yeah. Come and, yeah. You know, like I was like throwing the alley-oop as a kid. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, so that was, that was definitely a thing. Um, and then like in my, my teen years, a lot of the years um, it, that I spent or a lot of the time that I spent in the neighborhood was just like, we would just like sit out on the stoop and yeah. like, crack jokes mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. talk shit yeah yeah and like bustle on each other yeah. nigga look at your shoes mm -hmm. you know what i mean nigga your teeth so yellow yeah. you look like you drank a cheese curl mystic you know what <laughs> i mean like just like cracking on each yeah. other freestyling battling you know what i mean once um probably like definitely high school um and probably like uh before then like junior high me and like all of the kids around me were like writing rhymes yeah. and like freestyling and stuff. So, you know, we would just like sit out on the corner and like battle or, um, you know, kind of like we used to call it like kicking knowledge. Like it would be like me or, you know, some older cats who might've been like Moors mm -hmm. or might've been in the nation of Islam yeah, yeah. or whatever. And we would sit around and like just discuss, really have like philosophical and like theological yeah. discussions. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it, it was like, that um my younger years you know as a preteen were all about the church right and then as a teenager it was all about like religion spirituality and hip hop gotcha you know what i mean yeah. so that's like the the warmth that mm -hmm. i feel nice. from my childhood really those two uh those two poles ten yeah. poles yeah you know and you and you have a brother, correct? Yes, okay. absolutely. Do, do you have yeah. any other siblings? Yeah, um, I have two older sisters, Kelly okay. and Shenda, and an older brother, Devin. Okay. Yeah. All yeah. right. Yes. That that's that's a that's a big solid good family. Yeah. yeah nice. Yeah. I'm the baby. Okay. The youngest, hey. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm the I'm the baby as well. I, I have two older brothers. Yeah. And my wife is the youngest of. She has four siblings. Oh wow. Yeah. 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 She she comes from a big family, and her. Mm -hmm oldest her sister is the is the oldest of all of them and her sister is like 22 years older than her oh it's like it's snap. a yeah it's a pretty significant i think yeah because naomi's 36 or yeah she's at least like 20 years older or yeah. something yeah it's pretty significant my partner is a similar dynamic yeah. she's the youngest mm -hmm. of six mm, i yeah. want to say that's yeah, a lot yeah and like She's like the youngest by far. Yeah. Like all yeah. of her siblings are like all of her siblings are probably older than my older brother and in the same sphere as mm -hmm. like my oldest sister. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know? Yeah. Yeah. My mom. I mean, now my mom just has one brother remaining because my mom is 74, but she was the youngest of 10. Oh, wow. Yeah. And her you know, oldest brother was like 24 when she was born right yeah so yeah i mean wow. yeah, it's just like yeah so the yeah just huge huge family mm -hmm. yeah um so so kind of walk me through how you actually got into the world of writing about music m making music mm -hmm. you know being a you're i view you as a public intellectual you know i mean like that that's Thank the you. phrase that uh you know a, a, a 
mentor of mine uses. But yeah, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you're you're a cultural critic. Mm-hmm. So how yeah. like how did you get into that? Because I mean, you know, clearly, uh, you know, there's you're absorbing music in the church. I would imagine that you're absorbing, you know, a variety of music just in the neighborhood at large and in yeah, your yeah. house. And, you know, and from and from what I feel like I remember reading in one of the articles I read about you, like, you know, you, your brother was like fairly instrumental in like, you know, introducing you, you know, to a lot of music and like, you know, making mixtapes and like things like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, sort of sort of walk me through, like, how did you go from sort of being like five years old being like, oh, yeah, that cool song on the radio is happening to yeah, like yeah. where you are now, where you, you know, like you're 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 a thought leader mm-hmm. in the world of music. Yeah, um definitely I would say um my father passing away was um a really important catalyst mm-hmm. and I didn't realize this until years and years yeah. later. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um my father passed uh Christmas Day Ooh, 1989. Wow. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, you know, I I remember it. Yeah. Like I'm looking at you yeah, as, yeah. as clear as day. Um and that spring, I wrote my first song, mm-hmm. which was about my father. Yeah. Years later, as an adult, yeah, I realized the connection mm-hmm. between the two. Um, Hip hop was so uh, ubiquitous; mm-hmm. is still yeah. today. Yeah. Um, I just thought, like, oh, now, now, you know, I used to be in the comic books and the church. Mm-hmm. Now I write rhymes. Now, yeah, and it, you know, I, I never made the connection. Um, so I started writing kind of, uh, really threw myself into that. It was really, um, the, the primary activity in my life well into adulthood, Mm -hmm. just, you know, writing rhymes and And, uh, quick, quick questions. And so like, was it, was it, uh, a thing of like, anytime you had a free second, you were just like writing cause you just like you just felt compelled to do it. Maybe not even understanding why it's like kind of an obsession and a a cathartic obsession looking back on it. Maybe it's absolutely um, like a compulsion that I felt Mm -hmm. to write, but then it was also um, a practice, Mm -hmm. which I understood it as such later when I got into meditation Mm -hmm. in my twenties, I understood like, okay, this was a meditative practice for me and a healing practice for me that I, you know, whatever was in me that mm-hmm. was like hurt or yeah. needed more, yeah, yeah. kind of it kind of like forced itself mm-hmm. out of me mm-hmm. as a young person. Um, so you know, I was like writing rhymes or whatever. My older brother uh, was in a group called the Devastating Four. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a DJ. He made the beats. Okay. DJ and a trio of women MCs, which. You never really saw that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You never really saw that at the time. Um, and they would do shows. They they opened for like Ultra Magnetic mm, MCs. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think they opened for Stetson Sonic sure, back yeah. in the day. Yeah. You know, they, they were just like, they were doing it. You yeah. know what I mean? And um, I would see my brother like making beats. You know what I'm saying? Um, chopping up samples. Yeah. You know, programming drums and all of that stuff. And being into music on like the writing aspect of it, my older brother, he, I, I think his idea was like, yo, you can be like Pete Rock or right, like yeah. Eric Sermon. I know you like rapping. Let's, let's teach you how to make beats mm-hmm. so you could do both. Mm-hmm. 
And initially, I wasn't into it. I was yeah. like, I don't want to do that. Because music making, like actually creating right. the sound, it was like magic to me. Yeah, I, I didn't see that as something that I could do. Right. Um, but he kind of like made me do it. He's like, you're going to sit down and learn how to work a drum machine. Mm-hmm. You're going to learn how yeah. to sample. And he would give me records. I remember he gave me um, BT Express um, it's like a seventies like funk record. Okay. A lot of people sampled it. If you you listen to um the DMX song "Get at Me Dog," yeah, it's yeah, like, y'all niggas want right, to be killers, right. yeah, dog. That beat gotcha. is BT Express. Okay. Gotcha. So that was like the first record he handed yeah. me and was like, "Yo, sample something mm-hmm, off of this and mm-hmm. make something out of it." Um, so really from there he kind of, uh, cause okay, so like the writing. It it always felt like uh like my own like private world mm, mm-hmm. of imagination yeah. that I could just dive in and play in. Once the beat making aspect was introduced, I was like, Oh, I can like make songs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was a lot of um a lot of my teenage years were spent um writing songs, making little tapes. Uh I had like little uh four track machines or like karaoke machines. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would make I would make a beat, rap on it, make tapes with little like interludes. I would take little like uh records with like, you know, like the little children's like, you know, A B C yeah, one, yeah. two, three and like little stuff like that. Oh, that's that. cool. Yeah, yeah. I I made um just like these like weird little tapes mm-hmm. with like skits and stuff. Awesome. And I would give them to my friends nice. at yeah. school. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's really even, you know, years later, I remember uh, I was probably in, like, my late 20s, and I was working at Whole Foods. And which which Whole Foods? The one in Jenkintown. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah I worked at the one at uh, on South Street back in 2006. Terrible. Yeah. Whole yeah. Foods is fucking terrible. <laughs> you know what I mean? And now, and now they're Amazon, so they're even more terrible. Shout out to Whole Foods. Uh, shout out to John Mackey, Whole Foods. You know what I I'm read saying? his book. So, yeah, I would, like, really. Yeah. <laughs> I I would make tapes like I would talk to all of the music heads because mm-hmm. like musicians they're like oh I need a nine to five yeah. oh I work at Whole Foods right yeah so there was you know when I was working there um I made a tape for this one kid and it was like beats and like you know at that point I was heavy into like rare like psychedelic rock records mm-hmm. so i would have like little skits with yeah. like interludes or like little weird samples yeah. from these like rock records and it would be this whole like kaleidoscopic yeah yeah t- mixtape yeah. that i would make and the dude um the one guy that i worked with he he like heard it and it, like blew his mind mm-hmm. and next thing i knew all of the coworkers who were in the like hit music or mm-hmm. whatever yeah. were like coming by my station. I worked at the uh, the fish gotcha. section. Yeah, yeah, they were coming by the fish section. Like, yeah. yo, man, can you make me one of those tapes. You mm. made that dude. Yeah. You know what I mean. So that it's it's kind of like, and even when I make records now, I still have that cut and paste collage. Yeah, you know colorful mm-hmm. yeah you know uh approach yeah. to it and it really started as a kid for me just like making tapes in the house yeah. yeah uh so and something else i'm wondering about is what what was the music that your your folks and like the older folks listen? i mean was it sort of like what i imagine like a lot of like i don't know like donny hathaway and kurt i i just always imagine 
older black folks during that time listening to like lots of like either Curtis Mayfield yeah, or yeah. like Sade and the Pointer Sisters. What like was is it like that? Am I yeah. accurate? My my mother is a thousand percent a Sade fan. Awesome. Um, I it's funny because um, I don't know that much about my father's musical sure. taste. He passed when I was real right. young. I didn't get to really like interrogate him mm-hmm. on what he yeah. listened to. But my mom uh would tell me. They were both really into the band Mandrill. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? So, like, funky, mm-hmm. psychedelic, Latin stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, like, all mixed up in there. They had a, a heavy, like, rock influence, yeah. too, um, which a lot of black bands in the 70s mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were, like, really into that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, my mom loves gospel, mm-hmm. you know, loves R&B, yeah. loves soul music, so... Yeah. So, okay. You know, typical like black yeah. parent yes. music. Yeah. You know what I mean. See, and what what I find uh, like you know funny about that is it's always interesting when you live your life and then you compare it to other people's lives. So like my dad pretty much only listens to jazz and like only listens to like hard bop. So like fifty five to sixty six. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's it. His, his lane. Yeah. That, that's his lane. And what's funny is that, and I only really came to this realization. Um, like in the last couple of months where when my when my dad describes jazz, he's mostly talking about the musicians that he likes, you know, mm-hmm. um, Parker, Miles, Thelonious Monk, you know, maybe some Ornette Coleman. So like, you know, the, the hard bop stuff. Yeah, yeah. So so it I always conflated jazz with hard bop because I never re- I knew who Louis Armstrong was, mm-hmm. never really heard any of his music. I never yeah. even really heard Duke Ellington's right. music. So the like the big band, the swing, even the like, you know, like the Benny Goodman, Tommy Dorsey, like white guy jazz, like never heard any of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And really the only contemporary jazz that I ever heard was Wynton Marcellus, yeah. you know, and then a little bit of Branford when he was on the Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. So, um, so. That's all I got from him, and then my and even to this day, that's all he listens to. And my <laughs> I mo- love that. Yeah, and he's he's <laughs> found specific, his thing. Yeah. That niche. He ventured a little bit with like Miles's fusion stuff. Like yeah, he has yeah. all the records. Never really listened to him. Right. And then my mom pretty much listened to the pop R and B that you would expect a black woman in the eighties and nineties to listen to. So Sade, Anita Baker, the Pointer Sisters. Uh. Like that was kind of the big three. Like. You know, uh, yeah, and a fair amount of uh, Natalie Cole, you know, when she got off the, you know, the dope and like, you Mm -hmm. know, got back, you know, the Unforgettable album. Yeah, yeah, Boom, that was the thing for her. So like, that's all I really knew. So I honestly never really heard um, like Curtis Mayfield Mm -hmm. or the psychedelic era of the Temptations growing up or yeah, I mean, um, yeah, like any of those, like Bobby Womack, like Mm -hmm. I just... Some family member, like like uh, cousins, or like we would go to uh, like my parents' friends' house, like they would play that. But like yeah, I yeah. never heard it, so I didn't even get into like a lot of that till I was like in like I was like twenty three. I'm like, oh, I'm like hey, have you you heard of this Bobby Womack guy? Woo, right, he's right. Uh, this Gamble and Huff is is into you know they're onto something smart yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. So yeah, I just I always find that interesting. Yeah, we definitely um got a lot of the Philly International mm, stuff. Mm-hmm. Billy Paul. Yeah. You know, yeah. I have a funny story, not funny story, a, a terrifying story about Billy Paul um, and my parents. So my father was a street guy. Gotcha. You know what yeah. I mean? And um, one night uh, he and my mom had gotten invited 
to a concert in Atlantic City. Mm. It was a Billy Paul concert. Yeah. The gentleman who invited my father was one uh, an associate of his named Tyrone Palmer. Tyrone Palmer was hooked up with uh, Black Brothers Inc., mm-hmm. like the Muslim mafia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, my parents were going to be his guests. They were mm-hmm. going to sit yeah. at his table yeah. at this, uh, you know, Billy Paul concert. So my mom, right before it was time for them to leave and head down to Atlantic City, this is before I was born, yeah. um, she got sick. Mm. Sick to her stomach. She's like throwing up. You know, she's like, I can't go. Yeah. And my dad is like, all right, I'll stay here. Yeah. You know, I'll hang with you. I'll take care of you. And she's like, no, go, go, go. You know, have fun. Yeah. And my father insisted, like, no, right. I'm going to stay yeah. here with you. That night, uh, an attempt, not even an attempt, mm-hmm. right, yeah. a successful attempt mm-hmm. was made on Tyrone Palmer's life at the Billy Paul concert. Uh, I want to say four gunmen surrounded mm-hmm. his table, shot right. him up, shot up a bunch of people right. at the table, right. killed Tyrone Palmer. My mother and father would have been sitting right, right. next to wow. him had it not been for my mom getting sick yeah. that day and not going. Yeah. 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 Crazy, right? Yeah, like extremely crazy. Like, um, yeah, I don't even know what else to say about that. Yeah, that's so the the Philly International thing. That whole era is really fascinating yeah. to me for like for personal reasons, mm-hmm. but then for yeah. being uh, kind of like the my generation being like the children yeah, of yeah. that generation. So we definitely did also hear a lot of Philly International right, coming right. up. The OJs, yeah, all of that stuff, yeah. And an, another thing that is super fascinating to me about that is, like that that element of just black life in general and the intersection with black music is something that I don't. I think it's a combination of my parents not highlighting that to me because, like, n- not wanting us as kids to conflate that with black culture mm-hmm. and then you do you mean like the criminal element? yeah yeah the, the, the criminal element because like honestly i mean when like when when people so like one i can't i think i've told you this uh you know like in the emails that we've exchanged and like in the little bit of the intro we've had and apologies to the 10 people in who listen to this podcast who've heard me say this a million times but <laughs> a lot of my guests don't know me so they don't know this yeah, so yeah. i mean like i'm a total suburb kid mm-hmm. in southern i lived in southern california till i was 14 a suburb of la oh, okay. um and we but and we were on the black side of town so there was like a, there was a white side there was a black side yeah, we yeah. lived on the black side of town and looking back on it there was kind of like there there were a couple of drug houses on our block but i mean we were so naive to it like my parents knew about it but like we didn't know and the overwhelming majority was just either working class or middle class folk very aspirational and the joke i always made is that the school i went to which was mixed 70 percent white 30 percent black Mm -hmm. black kids couldn't get away with anything the black parents you right the first time that i had a sleepover at a white friend's house and kids were calling people's parents by their first name i was like <laughs> you can't do that where yeah. i live like no not at all I, to this day i don't know my mother's first name yeah i, I, <laughs> I she's mom yeah ex- <laughs> i it's, it's i'm kind of good now like when i you know because i'm 40 so like when i meet people like oh you know this is my mother veronica and dad you know i i feel kind of comfortable now addressing 
people's parents by their first yeah. names. But it like took me a very long. Even yeah. I still feel weird about it. It's it's it gives me anxiety. Yeah. If you introduce your mother to me as Veronica, mm-hmm. I I'm not calling it. Yes. Yeah. Especially if they're black. Oh yeah, very much so. It's yes. a different. It's weird. You know, yeah, any white no. people listening to this will be like, what? Yeah. It's definitely a thing. Oh yeah, most a definitely. Fifty year old white woman. I might call her Veronica. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. A fifty year old black woman. Yeah, oh, no. Yeah. Not happening. Yep. It's not happening. Absolutely. I am not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, she the, is Miss Veronica. Absolutely. 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 Yep. The old timer that lives next door is Miss is Mr. Willie. His friend is Mr. James. Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. that's how it is. And um so so the Yeah, I mean like I really when people sort of talk about like, oh, you know, like, you know, we saw this as kids, like I didn't see any of that. Yeah. And my parents did a good job to like make sure like that didn't even enter into our minds. Mm-hmm. So for us to think like, oh yeah, you know, this street life is the way to go. So, and I mean, and even the, you know, the, the, the less than savory uh, activities that a lot of the jazz musicians that my dad, you know, looked up to, I had no idea that they did any of that right, stuff. Right. Like I thought they were all just like, you know, <laughs> people who never even looked at a beer and yeah. went home to their kids. I'm like, you yeah, know, that's yeah. not it's so like to play music. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like, that's all I knew. And so to, to like, you know, to like learn about that stuff. I was like, really? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I was even shocked when the, I first really learned about the temptations when I watched the temptations, like movie that came out in NBC back in 2000 or whatever. Yeah. And my mind was blown. I was like, I'm like, oh, they were doing drugs and like yeah. sleeping with each other's wives yeah. and pills. And Ruffin, I, yeah. yeah, I was, I, bro, I was shocked. Cause yeah. I just like, I really grew up with the like, not just like black excellence, but it it was even almost taught to me that like, we, we, we've come too far to do that. So right. we just don't do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, a fair amount of us did that. So, mm-hmm. um, so that, Something else I'm super uh, curious about with you is, um, you know, and I I feel like, you know, we've we've talked about this a bit in the exchange with the emails and then in a lot of what I shared just now where you and I have had fairly different perspectives growing up because, you know, so you you grew up in West Oak Lane, like really, you know, in a like. 99.9999% 99.9999% black community, just like, Absolutely. you know, very insulated from white society. Yeah, yeah. I grew up very much the opposite because, yeah, in my town or, you know, this the section of the town that I lived in in California, everyone was black. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I like participated like in an all black little league, but the school I went to was very mixed. And honestly, mm-hmm. most of my friends were white growing mm-hmm. up to the point where um, when I would have dates in high school, my mom would ask questions to figure out if the girl was black, but she wouldn't say it. What's she like? What do her parents do? What's her yeah. name? Like, what church does her family go mm-hmm. to? Can she use a comb? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of those things. And so in um, 94, we moved to the East Coast. My dad got a new job. Mm-hmm. So we, we wound up moving to Northern Virginia. My dad was working in Washington, D.C. Yeah. So we were like, our town was like 90% white. And uh-huh. the joke I always make is on my school bus... I was one of three black people, and one of them was the bus driver. Right. But honestly, that wasn't that weird for me. And subconsciously, like, I preferred that because I was so used to being around white kids. Yeah. And by high school, I mean, you know, you, you start kind of growing into your identity. So most of my life, I got the, why do you talk like that? You talk white. Why do yeah, you do yeah. that? Why do you like Star Trek? Like, you know, so so subconsciously, 
I would get nervous if there were other black people around. Like, I don't want to be oh, around black people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm not I'm not aware that any of this is going on. Right, right. Um, right. so and then when I came to Philly, I was in art school. I went to University of the Arts, mm-hmm. which doesn't really have a high black population. And looking back on it, at least then the and this is just my memory. I don't know if this is factually true, but this is what's emotionally true. You were more likely to see black women at University of the Arts than black men. And most of them were in the dance department. Right. And a lot of the black men were, um, at least, again, in my mind, there was there were a fair amount of black male dancers, mm-hmm. um, most of whom... I feel like it's accurate to say, you know, identified as somewhere on the LGBTQ plus spectrum, yeah. which when I was 17, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, now, you know, I'm it's people are people. Right, Marriage right. equality should, you know, just should be the way of like the entire planet. I can, I say that now as a 40 year old, fully realized adult, as a 17 mm-hmm. year old who considered myself fairly open minded. It, it, I wasn't as open minded as I thought I was. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so there there were a lot of gay black men in the musical theater department or in the dance department, mm-hmm. um, but not a lot of you know black dudes that I could like burrow out with. Right, um, right, right. And they're just and they weren't in the theater department. So so that really shaped a lot of my experiences. Um, and you know things like this podcast is partially me like trying to work a lot of that stuff out mm. for myself. But I mean, but also just you know. Um, opening up the space to talk to other black people about art, life, things yeah. like that. The reason that the you know the, there's a reason to my rant. You know, if <laughs> as the people that listening like they they've learned that I can't just ask a simple question. I say oh, I yeah. have a question for you, and then I do a 20 minute soliloquy about I, my life. Trust me, I'm the same way. Awesome. And my partner uh, gets on me yeah. about it. She'll ask me a thing, right? Particularly a thing about music or mm-hmm. art or something like that, and I'll be like, okay. So she's like, can you give me the short version right, yeah. <laughs> of it? So no, I, I fully yeah. empathize with that way of thinking yes. and speaking. Yeah, we're, we're, we're setting context because there's the context Absolutely. behind the question, it informs it. Context is everything. Context is everything. So one of the things that I've always found interesting and I've learned to like really just like lean into it and embrace it is um, like my, my relationship to black art you know art made by black people so mm-hmm. you know like one of one of the things is that i can honestly say that for me like if if someone was like you can only listen to like three rap groups or rappers for the rest of your life mm-hmm. beastie boys would get serious consideration <laughs> from me and 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 i've actually done a lot of thinking as to like like why is it yeah because yeah. because like when i was a kid like when the beasties first came out i was like white rappers i'm like no doesn't make sense doesn't make sense and keep in mind like all of my friends were white at the time Mm -hmm. and all of my white friends were like white guys rapping that's dumb yeah yeah, but i've realized that like for me especially because like i consider myself just like a super nerdy like i'm not like a a macho guy it's like devil wears prada is one of my favorite movies Mm -hmm. and i like to laugh at myself and like the beasties like that's kind of part of their thing is like you know they're like we're upper east side kids we tried to do the faux gangster thing on License to Ill. That's not really who we are. Like right. we, we rap about Carl Sagan and all this nerd shit. So I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, like awesome. Like yeah. and and there's a fair amount of black rappers that do that too. But I feel like the oh, yeah. like the Beasties are like sort of like the pillars of like nerd culture. It's like Wes Anderson films, Beastie Boys, <laughs> and I, you know Jimmy Fallon is like yeah, the triangle yeah, yeah. that all nerds base their life on. 
Um, but I used to be like one of those people, like even when I first met my wife, you know, and she's, you know, has, is um, total opposite background from me. Grew up in Harlem, like Harlem of the 80s. So mm-hmm. not Krispy Kreme Donuts Harlem. Right, like, right. You know. The good Harlem. The, the, yeah, the, you know, the, the you know, um, uh uh, who who were the big uh, drug dealers? Was it like yeah, Nikki Barnes? Nikki Barnes yeah, yeah, like on 110th Street, you know, open air markets. Like, yeah. and her uncle tells stories about like when they would hide the heroin addicts like needles. Like they they would look out their window <laughs> and see the people shooting up, and then like they'd scurry away because the cops came, and then they would run down as little kids and like hide the needles. Like hide the needle from the junkie was a game that her uncle played. Right. So Jesus. I'm like completely different from my life you know mm-hmm. and then she also grew up in uh, like a bit of north jersey in crown heights brooklyn so mm-hmm. you know super you know a very specific black experience yeah yeah so when we got together in my mind i was sort of like ooh do i like share with her how much i like portlandia and new girl and beastie <laughs> boys and i was and i even like i sort of like put like a couple of like trial balloons out there of like Okay, let me play this Beastie Boys song for her. Yeah, just leave it on. Yeah, just leave it on <laughs> and like see what happens. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, and I mean, you know, we're married and we, you know, we have a beautiful son, so yeah, it, it's it's worked out. But like, I'm I'm like curious to hear your thoughts on the like the modern racial dynamics of hip hop culture in general. Mm. You know, I'm just super yeah. curious. You know, um. I, like you said, grew up in completely uh, black neighborhood, um, mostly went to school with, I, I did in um, uh, kindergarten, first grade, and second grade, I went to Greenfield, which okay, is like yeah, yeah. right in Center City, mm-hmm. super mixed, yeah. you know, liberal, yeah. you know, school for kids. Um, so I, I'd been around white kids, yeah. but you know, when I went home, my whole world was like super black. Um in high school, well, really in uh, junior high, I started to kind of notice MTV was mm-hmm. a big thing. I was always curious about music, and I went to a school in Northeast Philly that was like primarily a white neighborhood. Okay, so it was like a lot of black kids there, you know, a lot of white kids, and then slithers of other folks, yeah. Asian, brown folks, yeah, all of that. So. To me, uh, rock music was always associated with white people, mm-hmm. especially like the strains of rock music that came out of like the punk rock yeah. explosion. So like pop punk was a yeah. big thing when I was in you know uh, junior high and high school. Grunge was a thing in the tail end of yeah. my junior high and high school uh, experience. So I associated that with them. Rap was ours. Yeah. Right. So we had I kids that I hung out with were like white kids that were dipping their toe into rapping, yeah. you know, battling and all. We had like a crazy battle culture. I went to uh, Northeast High School okay, yeah. uh, on Cotman Avenue. We had like a crazy battle culture in our school, massive ciphers out in front of the school after school. So much so I remember um there used to be a public access show, a hip hop show in Philly called Urban Expressions. Mm. And I remember they interviewed the roots mm, on mm-hmm. Urban Expressions. And Dice Raw, I, I remember this clear as yeah. day watching it. Uh the the host asked everybody, like, yo, y'all wanna give shout outs, anything y'all yeah. wanna say, and you know, 
they they were passing the mic around and Dice Raw grabs the mic and he's like, yeah, for all y'all niggas up Northeast High School, I'm going to come up there and when I see y'all, I'm battling all of y'all. <laughs> so that's how it, yeah, t- it, it yeah. kind of spread out, yeah. you know, the, 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 um, uh, notoriety or, yeah. or you know uh, of our school as like a battling school, mm-hmm. and that was across racial lines. Yeah. You know what I mean? As far as um, so I I say all that to say that um, I'm naturally um, a little bit protective of mm-hmm. black culture, yeah, because that's just how I, I I came up, yeah, um. So it does a lot of times give me pause when like white people are rapping still right, right. to this day. I don't, you know, I don't discriminate specifically on race. Yeah. But a lot of times just, you know, uh, I just, uh, don't want to hear it or mm-hmm. it doesn't hit my spirit, right. you know, the way that somebody else rhyming would. Now, is it is it a thing of um so I I, I want to go like a couple layers into that. Is it is it uh, like a thing of like you just you don't necessarily think that they have the feel or like you know like you know or th- there has to be a certain like lived experience that that generates the feel, which is kind of how I feel about the blues. It, I, cause I definitely feel like you have to be American to make the blues because I mean like you know I love the Beatles and I love Eric Clapton. Their blues records are not good. I like, do not want to hear Eric Clapton yeah, playing like, the blues. Yeah, you know I, like I mean? Eric Clapton playing the blues, I'm like, eh. It could be good from a technical standpoint. Sure, yeah. I, yeah, I think that, um, and I mean, you know, lived experience, like what does that even look like? You sure. know what I mean? As far as like what makes you legitimate as an MC. I never shot nobody. Right. You know what I'm saying? There are white dudes in the world that have like shot people and sold dope right. and yeah. all that. You know, they're the masters of mm-hmm. that shit <laughs> historically. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So Very true. they should be able to rap about yeah. it. Sometimes it's like the voice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, white guys say white. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, <laughs> I'm wearing a white robe. Sometimes I don't want to hear that shit. Right, you know what right. I mean? Like it's just, and then a lot of times um, it is uh, taste and like stylistic mm-hmm. stuff. You know what I mean? Eminem, uh, I saw Eminem perform in Philadelphia in 1998. Yeah. Right before he blew up. Yeah. He tore it down. Yeah. Um, he's an incredible technical rapper. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear nothing he's talking about. He, he, Talks about raping women. Right, yeah, yeah. He talks about, you know, hating his mom, mm-hmm. killing his child's mother. Yeah. On a cultural level, I don't relate to any yeah, of that shit. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? So just um, a lot of, I'll listen to white rappers, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, I'm not a person who is of the opinion that, you know, white people shouldn't be in sure. hip-hop yeah. or whatever. Um, but a lot of time, like ninety nine percent of the time, unless it's the Beastie Boys, right. yeah. <laughs> it's like my partner teases me all the time. She's like, "You don't like white rappers, but you love the Beastie Boys." Right. That's different. I grew up on them. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's just it. A lot of times, um, I think that there are really tricky racial dynamics. Oh yeah, yeah. In any aspect mm-hmm. of American yeah. art, yeah. and music, um. I do appreciate that a lot of white hip hop heads that I've seen over the past few years with the conversations about race mm-hmm. yeah. and everything else that have been deepening yeah. in our culture in this country, I see a lot of white hip hop heads that understand that they have white privilege, mm-hmm. 
understand that, you know, hip hop is black culture. Yeah, yeah. It's not like, you know, back in the day when you had like um like like Guns N' Roses right. would play uh are playing black music, mm-hmm. playing music that's rooted in the blues, mm-hmm. but you have Axel Rose dropping N bombs on a record. On a record, yep. That sort of thing is not acceptable. No, now. no, no. And not I at see all. a lot of white hip hop heads that are even even on social media, I see white hip hop heads calling other white hip hop mm-hmm. heads yeah, to yeah, task yeah. for their like problematic mm-hmm. racial or political views mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. So it's but then you also have MAGA rap is right. a thing. You know what yeah, I mean? which I mean like surprises <laughs> me and doesn't surprise me. Right. Yeah. I like you knew that America would produce that mm-hmm. culturally. Mm-hmm. It makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah. So you know, it's 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 like any other uh, racial phenomena or, or, you know, where race intersects with art. It's a fucking mess. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Understatement of the century. Personally, I'm not clocking no white rapper like, like, oh, man, you white, you shouldn't rap. Right, yeah. Come on. Yeah. You know what I mean? In, in 2019, whatever. But I do um, stand up for and defend... Uh, the sovereignty of black art mm, mm-hmm. and the black cultural mm-hmm. experience, mm-hmm. and I, I, I don't, I don't miss any chances to let it be known like this is our shit. Yeah, that came out of our experience. Yeah, yeah. So we can talk about it, right? But that's that's the default position that right. I'm coming from. No, yeah, and you know, and one of the things that so like pretty much everything that you said, like I'm totally on board. Like I agree with, I, I respect, and I think one of the things that a lot of white people don't know partially because like they don't want, some people don't want to know some, um, you know, I, you know, who knows what the hell goes on in people's minds. Yeah. But like the, the thing that I'm, the space I'm really getting to is I'm all about like, I do believe in multicultural societies and like, and, and I view it as like everyone has their home base. However, they define that. Many times it's racial, not necessarily, mm-hmm. not necessarily, but like, I think for most people it is. Yeah. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I actually think that our attempts to like get away from that and try to be like, we all love each other equally. Like, that's not true. Like we, uh-huh. everyone has a priority, which is me and mine. And it could just be your family or the people that live on your block. Or it could be like, yo, West Oak Lane doesn't really West Oak Lane is here. East Oak Lane is okay because we have similar names. <laughs> but like yeah, King yeah. Sessine, like y'all might as well be on Mars. Like no disrespect, but right, like right, right. Er, it's a it's a different universe. So I say all of that to say that like I I am getting just more comfortable in the space of like okay you know th- this is who I am this is the culture that's birthed me mm-hmm. you know and 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 this is my particular black experience which is very different from my wife's mm-hmm. very different from my parents. Possible, even fairly different from my brothers right. in ways that like none of us could have predicted. And, and you know, I think that cultural sovereignty is a very important thing. And one, every other culture does it, but it's really only when black people do mm-hmm. it that people have a problem. Absolutely. But, but like my thing is like I, I can actually listen to the music of like Queen or Iron Maiden and actually hear hundreds of years of European influences from Germany to Norway to Portugal like it's all filtered through their music like it informs the aesthetic and 
I'm cool with that. Yeah. It's so, a beautiful fucking thing. It's a beautiful fucking thing. Yeah. So, so like, why is it weird when like we want to claim it? And because, and I, I've even been in like in instances, and it's very interesting as a um as as a black person who lives and works mostly like in black spaces because a lot of my like day job for the last 11 years has really been um you know working in uh, uh youth development community development like the nonprofit space so, like mm-hmm. I worked at uh, 15th and Susquehanna for eight years I worked in Norristown like I was just working for an organization that did work all over the city, mostly in black and brown communities. Yeah. And we were operating out of hunting park. So like, so like okay. these are the spaces that I'm in, you know, and I, and I know, you know, I got tons of black friends who are like, you know, on the like Republic of new Africa, cooperation Jackson, like, you know, they're on like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so it's very interesting for me to see even black folks who like, they don't mean anything, but like when they sort of like, dip their toe in like the rock or the punk water and they're like i got a mohawk i'm punk rock and it's like (laughs) like no no and 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 even when you know like when the the documentary afro punk came out which Mm -hmm. i was all about i was like finally it's a classic documentary it's a classic documentary and and to see this like commercialization and like walmartization of like the afro punk movement where like any any black person with a guitar is now considered like afro punk <laughs> and like lenny kravitz is afro punk yeah yeah nothing against him yeah. like solange is not afro punk lauren hill is not afro punk right. and 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 to see like you know a lot of these the black punk bands get like literally pushed onto like the second tier stage yeah and see folks wear like their punk uniform and a lot of these like same it's like, well, y'all were actually the same people that were making fun of me for listening to The Clash and wanting to check out Minor Threat and the Dead Kennedys mm-hmm. 15 years ago. And, like, you've taken it. So um, so I say all that to say that, like, you know, I mean, that's a lot of, you know, where sort of, like, my musical sovereignty comes in. But, you know, but clearly just the, like, the whole history of black music just sort of being gobbled up by, like, the bigger American machine i think is something that should give all of us just serious pause um just because of like the market dynamics that are at work and just yeah. like you know this, we're only 13 percent of the population and you know and that was part of the reason that you know I, I explained in the email of like why i wanted to to do this podcast is at the very least like you know i i want white people to hear us talk about their music and their culture because it's so all the time we have, you know, all these white cultural critics yeah. writing for downbeat, you know, putting articles in the source and XXL and murder dog. And at least with me, it's like, I actually grew up around white people and like, and I can actually say that like, I love white people, you know, and yeah. I, I know what that comes with, you know, yeah, and yeah. I, you know, and, and I can see the humanity in white people, right? Even the Trump supporters. I don't mm-hmm. necessarily like the humanity, but I I can actually see them as full fleshed human yeah, beings. You understand what's what's going on. There. I understand what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the white folk don't. It's not really the same with with us. And like and like we were talking about before the interview, like they're flocking to our music, right? And wearing it as a uniform. Yeah, and it's you know. Uh, there's, there's a lot in that um that you just said um i'm i'm thinking about the ways in which 
where black folks were not allowed to exercise, like I said earlier, that cultural sovereignty. Um, and I think that a lot of it is tied to how we're viewed. I think that we are viewed as like a commodity or mm, a thing mm-hmm. in this country. Um, and you can trace that back to the slave trade yeah. or, you know, whatever. Um, but we're not, yeah, we're, we're not given the same, uh, kind of respect in the sense it's like okay this is our culture you know other people can interact with yeah. it without it being you know uh like like ken burns with the jazz documentaries right. which is that documentary is fucking uh propaganda if you look at it the the primary uh narrative that they're selling in that documentary is that jazz is not white jazz is not black mm. It's American, right, yeah. which ultimately means it's white. It's white, yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And they, It's they, default white. They yeah. keep running back to that talking mm-hmm. point. And I didn't peep it as a younger person yeah. when it came out. Years later, I watched it again, like in my 20s, and I was like, wait, I know exactly what they're trying to sell here. Mm-hmm. This is propaganda. Yeah. So that happens with our music. I had an interaction on uh, not Twitter, Facebook uh, a few months ago. I wrote a status, something something simple. You know, house music was created by black people in Detroit. Uh, uh, if black people in Chicago, techno was created by black people in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Simple historical fact. Facts, yeah. In my work, I've interviewed these people. Mm-hmm. Not that I even needed to do it, yep. but I've interviewed folks from those cities who were around when the shit started. Yeah. And, you know, they all agree. It was black folks there mm-hmm. that did it. Simple fucking thing. And this guy um, who was a friend of a friend jumped in the status and he was like, this is racist. And clearly this person doesn't know anything about how music genres develop and all of this stuff. And I'm like, find me, you know, the the 10 most influential DJs or, or you know, promoters, mm-hmm. or, you know, people who were involved in this music producers and then show me the white guy yeah. in there. Yeah. And if there's one, there's one. There's one. Out of ten. Yeah. You know what I mean? But and and when I said to this person, I was like, yo, instead of calling me, you know, an idiot, no, you know, I don't know nothing about music and all of that, you need to investigate why the idea that black people created black music right. is so offensive to right. you. I don't listen to Celtic music yeah. and then try to figure out how black people may have created mm-hmm. this or kinda, yeah. you know, parse it. You know, and, and figure out like, oh, this is really actually black. No, right. This is some shit that Irish people do. Yeah, Celtic people do. You know, that's their culture. Yeah, and it's beautiful for what it is. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to us, our stuff is, uh, you know, open for for everyone else to claim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have no claim yeah. to it ourselves. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 fascinating, like endlessly fascinating to me. How, um, hmm, how, uh, pervasive that mentality is. Yeah. You know what I mean? This person, uh, with the, the, the post about house music and techno, this person first called me a racist. Right. And then called me a homophobe. This person, (laughs) this because clearly they're like trying to throw stuff against the wall. This person said, yeah, and then they 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 like look they like you know looked into your background and then they they you know they found uh, 
like a, a random YouTube uh, cell phone video of you cutting someone off in traffic, maybe, and you also have road rage. It's like right, right, we, right. It, when he was two, yeah, he threw his bottle on the floor, so he's. It's toxic masculinity. Yeah, he's, I'm, I'm like all of these things yeah. because I said that black people created right. black music. Sure. And this person um, said to me, oh, well, you're a homophobe because you're erasing the contribution of uh, uh, LGBTQ folks in Europe, their contribution to dance music. I'm like, first of all, you know, all of these folks that I'm talking about, particularly in chicago that was a black queer movement mm-hmm. yeah you know what i'm saying yeah. it spread outward yeah. to the broader black yes. community yeah. but that started as a black queer right. movement frankie knuckles i mean larry levan like we're talking about like black queer people who mm-hmm. were here i don't particularly know about frankie knuckles i, I think definitely larry levan sure. we're talking about like like a culture of dance music mm-hmm. that came out of black queer yeah. culture that europeans got you know, ten years mm-hmm. after the fact. So you know, it's it's. I I rarely have those yeah. discussions yeah. with white people because yeah, white people it. don't have the range. They don't. They don't. You know, I'll talk with black folks if somebody black mm-hmm. has um you know a backward opinion about some shit. I'll explain some shit mm-hmm. to a black person because yeah. they're family. Yeah. White folks, I don't argue you with don't white have people no about time race. for it. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, and the, one of the other things I find interesting about that is that my, my assumption with this person is that to to call to assume that you are assuming that the the folks that are creating this music are heterosexual and you know by extension maybe heterosexual cisgender it's also part of this like whitewashing of of queer culture Absolutely. where where the you know there are just so many people who have like the this default image of white people in that space and a lot of like white men mm-hmm. you know and and a lot of this like um well, yeah, no, your your sexual orientation is the thing that defines all of us like even greater than race. And my my whole thing is is that I know how I define the priorities that, you know, that are for me. Yeah. I personally have no problem if any black person is like, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a Floridian first and a Democrat second and a dad third and a black person fourth. I'm like, however you want to live your life, yeah, yeah. that's that's not how I would self-identify, but maybe we've had very different experiences. Right. And right. Ma- maybe if I went your route, I might be happier in life. I don't know. I'm, I'm a pretty happy dude, so I'm good <laughs> right, with what right. I'm doing, but I don't judge. So I'm not like, yeah, no, like they're, they're black first and gay second. It's like, no, I mean, but having talked to enough black folk who are in various LGBTQ plus communities and hearing firsthand a lot of the racism that they've encountered or the classism yeah. or the, the like fetishization of like, Oh yeah. You know, he's a black dude. So he's got to have a huge hog. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, that's a real thing. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. So, so the fact that like, you're going to go there shows to you that like, Oh yeah. Like you, yeah, in this person's mind, it's like, oh yeah, no, like, no, it's, it's folks in Europe, you know, like, it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't. <laughs> Gay have time. white dudes yeah. in Europe, yeah, invented invented a music that niggas in the projects right. in the eighties were dancing to, right? Come on, yeah, 
Yeah, it's. I mean, kind of with Kraftwerk, they that happened. But, sure, but not with house music. Exactly, or exactly. Yeah, and and that you know, like, and that is a a, a point that um, I've been trying to make to a lot of people is that I feel like black folk we are very 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 good at giving credit to the influences that are outside of our culture yeah. where they're due so like you know african bambata has been like very clear in like talking about like mm-hmm. the, the influence that craft work has Gary had on Newman, him yeah, that shit. yeah absolutely absolutely we celebrate that shit we do when it we comes do. from other people mm-hmm. and i was i was even um you know i was having uh, a conversation with someone and he this this guy said something that like i hadn't necessarily thought about um but he was talking about um, a lot of the inventiveness and the innovation that is residing with our within our communities. A lot of it being a direct result of like, well, like when you're giving shit and scraps, like, and you and you make an omelet out of it, like it's an amazing yeah. thing. And and he was pointing out how um, how certain European communities particularly like, you know, under the Iron Curtain have had to do the same thing, you know, and he was talking about how like, you know, like, uh, you know, like a lot of the innovative uh, music and fashion that like came out of post-war Berlin because of like World War II and communism. And like, and honestly, I've been super um, into like looking at, uh, you know, what they call the Krautrock movement because, oh, yeah. because I think it's, I think it's an interesting model of like, okay, you know, so like, you know, th- this is the, the world that like, you know, these, you know, these young Germans like just inherited mm-hmm. and then, you know, and sort of, and like the whole world is like looking at you like your country fucking er- eradicated half of Europe and tried to like just wreak havoc. So like, and that, that was their cultural response. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, Black folk are are so good at being like, yeah, no, this is the good shit that y'all have done, right? And we're just asking you to acknowledge ours, right? A lot of which has like super influenced most of yours. Come on, like you know, you speaking on kraut rock, you yeah. know what I mean? Um, on on different levels, but uh, you know, there was so much of that music, like the band uh, Can, mm-hmm. yeah. Can's rhythms are James Brown. Craftwork. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Specifically said we were trying to do an electronic version of James Brown. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you had uh World War II, Germany's trying to rebuild. You have a whole generation of young Germans who are like, we're gonna go the opposite route yeah. of fascism. Can C A N communism, anarchism, nihilism. That's what it stood for. Mm-hmm. They were doing drugs and listening to Stockhausen mm-hmm. and the Beatles mm-hmm. yeah. and James Brown yeah. and they were living in communes and the countryside and they were trying to go the exact opposite route of what had happened during, you know, the third yeah. Reich. So, you know, we see that and we acknowledge that yeah. Africa Bambata used to play cans, uh, vitamin C mm. at the Bronx jams mm-hmm. back in the yeah. day or ja- it might have been Jazzy J that, yeah. that played it. It was just a little confusion sometimes with the break beats because Bambada started off physically playing the gotcha. records and then after he became, you know, uh, this mythical figure, yeah. he would have Jazzy J okay. would play the yeah. records and he yeah. would select them like, yo, play this, play that. So I don't know exactly who pioneered that break, but vitamin C, I, I, I shit you not. That German kraut rock shit and all this other music is so deeply embedded in hip hop's DNA. A few months ago, 
I was playing at the Spruce Street Harbor. Regular, you know, summer thing. Mm-hmm. Families yeah. are out there. I'm DJing. I'm doing the hip hop thing. I'm cutting up breaks and shit. I swear to God, on everything, I played cans, vitamin C, and five B boys appeared mm-hmm. yeah, out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. And it's mm-hmm. created a cipher mm-hmm. and started breaking. Yeah. The shit was like a movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you asked any of them, like, yo, what is this record? They don't fucking no, know yeah. that it's some German anarchist mm-hmm. from the 70s mm-hmm. that made it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's in hip hop. As DJs, we know and we share that information and give credit where credit mm-hmm. is due. White folks have been conditioned to be takers. Mm-hmm. They've been conditioned to be colonizers. Mm-hmm. So they 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 struggle with that. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you say black music, yeah. this is black music. Yeah. They have like a uh, like a fear response mm-hmm. yeah. or something. Yeah, you know what I mean. And they start talking to you about you know, oh, this is American, right. or you know, oh, music doesn't have a color, right. Right. or any of that other stuff. It's like I I don't have time for that. Right, right. I have no time for that. Yeah, and and I like the other thing that um I find very disturbing is because I I want to go deeper with people and I want to be like yeah, like you know th- this. So if you want to go down the route of this is American music, because because jazz is very American music, and I think it is like the quintessential American music, really more so in my mind than rock and roll. Like, mm-hmm. really, because I feel like jazz is like sort of pulling from like everything. Yeah. Um, But it's like, yeah, but in your mind, American means white. Right. Whether you consciously admit that or not. It's like, in my mind, it doesn't, because to me, there is a difference between um uh like soul music that is made in the United States and soul music that is made in Britain. Oh yeah. There it's it it is it is it is different strains. So mm-hmm. and and to me, you know, it I always say to people, you know, like if like if like if if someone asks me like so what do you really, really like, really like, you know, self-identify as like, you know, like what's your culture? Like I would say, so I think I'm African-American American. And what I mean by that is <laughs> African-American is how I identify like sort of like my cultural background in, yeah. in regards of like all four of my grandparents are from the South. Like, you know, I'm, I'm rooted in the diasporic African experience in the continental United States. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I grew up on family ties and the Huxtable show, that that's what my wife and I are calling it now. We don't, we don't yeah, call yeah. it the C word. C word is canceled. <laughs> the Huxtable show. Word. We grew up on that and Back to the Future and Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. So like that that's my experience. And my citizenship is in the United States of America. Right. So if I move to Canada or Uganda or Sri Lanka, then I'll be an African-American Sri Lankan. That's how I self-identify. And, yeah. you know, and I even make jokes with my wife because some of her family's from the Virgin Islands. And uh-huh. I'm just like curry chicken like plantains like i we didn't we didn't it's cool we didn't have any of that yeah yeah, yeah absolutely so um and and for me like you know um oprah winfrey is one of the most american people in the world mm-hmm. so is tom cruise so is ronald reagan you know and people can interpret that any way they want it's like yeah, you know yeah. like to me i'm like does this person symbolize america and all the good bad and in between mm-hmm. but it's like you know Miles Davis and Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder yeah. are probably like three, like the the biggest American musicians ever, and so is Bruce Springsteen, 
and yeah. uh, you know uh, Merle Haggard and freaking <laughs> Willie Nelson. Yeah, absolutely. but like again, Kurt Cobain, Kurt Cobain. You say, yeah. Yes, yeah, Kurt Cobain and Stevie Wonder are like the most American people ever, and a lot of. This American stuff is influenced by African people, and if that's going to cause you to go into a tizzy, I don't know. It's like, I mean, y'all are the ones that put us on the boats. To, like, if, if you don't want us around. Right, right. <laughs> you want to, yeah, yeah. You know, that reminds me. I was watching, uh, a few years ago, I was watching a documentary on um, the whole Garveyite mm-hmm. movement. Yeah. And... There's a white historian who was like one of the talking heads yeah. that they were interviewing. I can't remember this gentleman's name, but he made uh, a point that hit me. It, it was something that I knew mm-hmm. inside but hadn't heard verbalized. He said that um, white people in the 1930s hated the idea of living next to black folks. Yeah. They, they despised black people at their core, but they also despise the idea of them leaving Mm -hmm. and going back to Africa. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what the fuck do you want? Yeah. What do you want? Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I feel like that strain of uh, dependency on black people, not only as, as, you know, cultural movers, um, but like as as politically, yeah. as a labor force, yeah. all of these other things um, that this country kind of rests on our backs. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's a tension between that and then fear and disgust. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's it's like it's complicated to navigate in a broader sense as far as like you know how do we develop political movements mm-hmm. as black people how do we maintain cultural sovereignty mm-hmm. how do we maintain our neighborhoods yeah, yeah you know as neighborhoods that are actually for us mm-hmm. and not fodder for gentrification yeah. it's 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 tough to navigate in like big picture shit yeah. like that but then on like a day-to-day thing mm-hmm. you know what i mean i left my job um i want to say in 2016 or two. 2015, 2016, something like sure. that. Um, I worked at a food co-op. Okay. You know, around mostly white folks. Mm-hmm. Food co-op yeah. in a gentrified neighborhood. Yeah. So I worked around mostly white folks. It is challenging day-to-day to interface or, or interact with uh, white people Yeah, on a day-to-day basis. I left that job, and I love my job. You yeah, know yeah I, mean? I feel I, you. I left that job because, like, the writing thing was picking up. Mm-hmm. The DJing yeah. thing was picking up. And I was like, yo, I can talk shit about music all yeah. day and get paid for it. So, yeah, you why know, not? Yeah. I, I made that move. But, um, you know, my heart goes out to folks that on a day to day basis have to interact with white people because it's it's not that, you know, y'all are like inherently fucked up. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're inherently fucked up through conditioning. Absolutely. Which, Absolutely. You know, I'm a, you know, cisgendered heterosexual male. You know, God bless any woman or like non-binary person that has to interact with motherfuckers mm-hmm. like me yeah. all day. Yep. You know what I'm yep. saying? We live in a a, a a society that's, you know, it's it's hierarchy and imbalanced power dynamics. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes our inner our um you know interpersonal relationships suffer. Yeah. 
if if we didn't live in the social hierarchy that we lived under, shit would be a lot better. Sure. And it would run a lot smoother. If if that yeah. makes sense. No, it, it it absolutely makes sense. And what's what's interesting is and you know, a lot of this is like you know, aside from me just wanting to interact with artists, hear their life story, you know, just hear about um, you know, yeah, who they became, who they are. But like, <clears throat> you know, this is where I was really hoping the conversation would go where, mm-hmm. you know, it it starts being about you and your artistic influences. And then it really opens up into this bigger deconstruction of the world and also just sort of like, OK, like and like, how do we operate in this space? Right. So my wife and I were talking about this last night and we talk about this all the time, like all the time. And this goes through my mind all the time. Mm-hmm. We like where we like the house that we're in now. We like the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but there there are just some like dynamics that I feel like most black folk who, you know, who are in a community like this would like kind of understand of like the people next door just like ah the crazy like yelling at two or three in the morning and yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know, the backyard is just like full of trash. The poppy store across the street where like where there's always just like dudes in and out. And it's mm-hmm. like it's cool. You want to go in and get your whatever, awesome. Having your music blared up at like a bazillion decibels on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon, like bro, like yeah, like chill out, chill out. Like yeah, kids yeah, are yeah. trying to hang out, dude. Like stop, no, like yeah, turn it down. <laughs> so, so like there's that, but um, and and also just sort of like the layout of this neighborhood, and not, this is very first world problems. It's mm-hmm. like you know, I I I I would like an area that's like a little more walkable. Gotcha. So, so we've been thinking about like, okay, well, like, real, where do we want to settle, mm-hmm. and where do we want to send our son to school? Right. Because, I, I strategically want our son to be in, in to have different environments, and, um, you know, where I definitely want him to be in certain spaces around nothing but black people. So he knows what that feels like and is able to engage in those conversations. I want him to be in very mixed environments. So he knows how to navigate that Mm -hmm. and how to see people as people. And I want him to be the lone black kid around tons of white people and around tons of white people who don't necessarily have his best intentions at heart because he needs to understand how to navigate that as well, because he's going to be in those situations at some point. And I think it's better for him to learn it as a kid yeah. Which is what I had to do mm-hmm. than to learn it as an adult because just, you know, the more tools you have in your tool belt, the better off you are. Yeah. I also know what it feels like to be that lone black kid and your mind gets warped, you know, like it gets super warped. That is definitely a thing. It's definitely a thing. And so my wife and I are trying to figure out like, okay, well, especially, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to figure out like, okay, so, so what really matters does just the quality of his education matter? Like, you know, are you are you just engaging in critical thinking? Yeah. Even if it's all white students and all white teachers, because we can at least sort of do like, you know, uh, uh, a cultural reconditioning with right. you aside. Like, <laughs> is that the most important thing? Or yeah, is yeah. it, you know, being able to be your free black self in an educational space so that if you act a nut one day, it's not like throw the kid out of school like yeah i mean and i, I worry i don't have kids yeah. um but i want to have kids yeah. my partner and i i worry about that mm-hmm. shit too yeah um i've heard horror stories from black folks that grew up in all white or majority white spaces or like schools or whatever yeah i uh, it's it would it I, we want to go, you know, as black as possible. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Uh, but yeah, I, I hear you. 
that shit's scary to yeah. me. Yeah. It's like, cause you know, it's not like when I was a kid, you know, if I like acted out or whatever, they would send me to the principal's office. There was no cop right. showing up. Yeah. Like we, we didn't get cops in school until I was a junior mm. in high mm-hmm. school. You know what I mean? That just wasn't a yeah. thing where you would see a police officer yeah. in a school. Um, that was the year before Columbine. Right. You know, yeah. when I graduated high school. So, you know, it's the the culture was mm-hmm. changing mm-hmm. around like uh discipline in school. Yeah. But I it it would it would terrify me to get a phone call that my kid did whatever mm-hmm. and the police showed up. Yeah. I detest police. Yeah. You know what I mean? On principle. And a lot of that is a holdover from when I was a kid because I knew that my father was on one side right. and the cops I got were on you. the other yeah. side. You know what I mean? But even to this day as an adult, if I'm walking on the street and I'm coming across gotcha. a cop, yeah. I, I cross. I don't go the other sure. way because then they, they'll follow yeah. you. But I'll, I'll avoid right. you know, any physical you. proximity with the police. You know, So I it just, yeah, thinking about raising kids, that's, that shit is rough. And yeah. then as a parent, you have to... Think about all mm-hmm. this other stuff that other people don't, really don't. They really don't. You they know, really parenting, don't. Parenting, um, I'm assuming, is a great challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whoever does it. Yeah. Yeah. But with us, it's like all this other extra shit yeah. thrown on top yeah. of it. Yeah. And and the thing and and this is and to to go a, a level deeper for me because you know I've lived in this like you know super nuanced environment so like you know just like for me personally like ev- even the sight of police officers like does not make me physically uncomfortable mm-hmm. and I mean and even a couple of years I I got called a motherfucker by a cop uh, when was it like five years ago yeah. um you know we're like I, I got into a minor um car accident where like my my car like grazed up against a police bicycle I was doing some things that I shouldn't have been doing this cop was doing some things that they shouldn't have been doing right. you know I'll own my part of it I would want them to own their part they but, won't but they won't <laughs> but the fact that his re- his reaction was he goes motherfucker and he just went from like zero to 60 his partners were trying to calm him down yeah so you know he was asking me all these questions like trying to like what are you doing da, 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 da. and I was just my usual calm self just because like I mean like that's just how I interact with people yeah, yeah. and after a while you could see the gears turning but what what was more frightening about it was at a certain point he he goes he goes you don't have to answer those questions anymore he he said something like well I I can tell you're a good dude not a regular shithead from the neighborhood so his Yikes. default is well there's a bunch of fucking niggers yeah this guy he's smart so it's like yeah so like that fucking like, yeah so you know I mean but I say that like even through that I also know that like you know statistically the the number of the number of police officers who are really going to like go fucking crazy and do something is statistically a small number. But even if it's only 3% or 5% and it's more than that, that's yeah. still like, uh, well, the one is one too many. Yeah. And um, those chances raise once they come across you or I. Exactly. You know what I'm exactly. saying? Exactly. Um, and you know, um, and so like the thing that I think about, like, you know, with, with my son is, because I really try to operate in the space of assume that people are good until they give you a reason to think otherwise. Because I just I don't mm-hmm. want him to be suspicious of everyone. Because I know people like that, and it's like that gives you ulcers and that puts you yeah, in a grave yeah. by the time you're thirty. However, sometimes you have a very small window to be like, okay, I'm going to assume that you're a good person. Mm-hmm. 
but then you start talking and it's like, mm, okay, this sounds like it might be going a little bonkers. I kind of got like 30 seconds, if that, to decide. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean like, and and really it's just sort of navigating those conversations in a way that doesn't have him like hate the world, but doesn't mm -hmm. have him be naive is tricky. And then the other thing for me is that, particularly as someone who still has like a lot of white friends, because I would say right now, I, as a percentage, I have more white friends than I have black friends, but I spend more time with my black friends. Gotcha. Um, you know, and like, you know, deeper connections, like, mm -hmm. you know, with my black friends. But I, I see a lot of my white friends who are like really in their conscious mind. They're like really trying to unpack everything and like do all this stuff, mm -hmm. but they really do not know how deeply condition they are and and oh yeah and the joke who does that, yeah and who does yeah and yeah. and the the joke that naomi and i make is that like i kind of want to start like a pool of like all of my white friends who have kids and it's like okay so at what year are you going to move to the suburbs when it comes time for your kids to go to school mm -hmm. and what's the reason you're going to give right because it's almost always Support the public schools. You know, you got to be with everyone. You got to be with everyone. Uh -huh. And then something happens, and it's always a very good reason. Oh, well, you know, my job. Yeah. You know, uh, we got a good deal on this house. Uh -huh. You know, the, like the the roads. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It's it's always it's always a good reason. It's something, yeah. It's always something. I mean, and it and it's one of those things where a lot of their reasoning I don't even actually disagree with because if I'm being totally honest. Like the school down the street from where we are, we're not going to send him there. Mm -hmm. There, there, and there, there are certain environments. Where I'm like, no, like I don't. But my whole thing is, is that I think that your actions should match your rhetoric, a thousand percent. Re yeah. Regard, and if people find it problematic, that that's on them. But like, yeah, don't don't say one thing and then do the complete opposite. Yeah, and then put other people on blast for doing the same thing that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it, it shouldn't be, I mean, obviously, if we had, like, three wishes, you know, to make the world the way we wanted it yeah. to be, whatever. Um, but it's fucked up that, you know, neighborhood schools and public yeah. schools, people don't want to send their yeah. kids to. You know what I mean? I'm not clamoring for my black children right. to be, you know, sitting up next to white folks. Whatever. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. just, that's my yeah, stance. That's, yeah, that's your stance. But... It's fucked up that, you know, if a white person who has means happens to live in a neighborhood, you know, adjacent to some black folks yeah. in a black ass school, that their kid, they're like, you know, you know, obvious racism aside, where it's like, yo, that school's just not serving any of those mm -hmm. kids yeah. who are there, and I'm not going to put my kid yeah. in that position. It's fucked up that the world is like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? That it's that education public good public education isn't a priority right in this culture that we live in you know what i mean we have a uh, anti-intellectual culture mm -hmm. we have a culture that despises poor people yeah. punishes poor people so you know that stuff that's you know you know uh up under mm -hmm. our society yeah. that our society rests upon that's the shit that's, you know, tripping us up. Yeah. Yeah. But we have to do a lot of serious um, work interrogating our attitudes, our feelings, right. our thoughts and right. opinions, our practices, yeah. and get to the root 
of the yes. thing. Yes. You know, in order for it to be better. We can right. wish right. a million fucking right. things. You know what I mean? But until we like really dig in, you know, we've we've talked about uh gender, us being males yeah. um a few times during this conversation. You know, I am not perfect. Right. Yeah. I say and do sexist things, mm-hmm. homophobic things all the fucking time yeah. because you know, we're conditioned to be that way. Right. I, I also, on the other hand, do a lot of work to try to like root that stuff out of me. Absolutely. You know yeah. what I mean? White people, you know, you don't want to feel Amalia Chatella, uh, always used to say, um, I used to do some work with like the Uhuru movement okay. in my twenties. And Amalia Chatella had a, a quote that like, in my brain all the time he said white people rejoin the rest of humanity mm. help us tear down global white supremacy mm-hmm. help us tear down racism and rejoin the rest of the human family and I think that that's it's an important way to frame it because yeah. A it puts uh, the onus on the person who has you know social privilege or sure, sure. proximity to uh, social power and then it and then it tells us that this stuff, racism, homophobia, transphobia, classism, all of this stuff separates us. Absolutely. I am yeah. not a we are the world kind of right. person. But I do recognize that humanity is a family mm-hmm. and the social order that we live right. under splits the family. Yes. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And and to that point, um what I personally believe is that I, I think it's okay for family members to accept that you're you're not necessarily going to vibe with every single member of the family at like 130% all the time yeah. every single like that that's okay it's like ha, have your have your favorite you know like I'm I'm sure like if I ask my parents like no but really like which one of us is your favorite kid I'm sure they have one or or you right. know or or they're at least like well you're the reliable one like this, this is the Different one aspects. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, th- this is the nice one to talk to. Like you're kind of an asshole to talk to, but you always show up for dinner. Like, I don't know, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean like that, that's really like, yeah. Like my thing is like, you know, just pe- peaceful coexistence is really, I think all that like any of us really want. So it's like, yeah. you know, wh- what can we do to get that? And, um, you know, and I really liked, um, you know what you're saying about like you know you know uh, you know interrogating your ideas like you know like really doing that deep dive into okay so why do I personally feel this way mm-hmm. why does a lot of my community have these particular views whatever they are mm-hmm. you know because clearly you know you know us black folk we got a lot of social views where it's like man we really gotta like why are we so threatened by this thing mm-hmm. um, and I think especially as it relates to like the schools in the neighborhoods, because I feel like the conditions of schools and neighborhoods are like are metaphors and symptoms of like much larger issues. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, one of the things that I really want people, particularly white people, to understand is like, OK, view this as a play. We're in the final act, maybe, or however you want to define it. But like, mm. let's say that we're in the the final scene of a four act play, because mm-hmm. I have personally, and I'm sure you have as well, I've seen a lot of black people just act a nut in so many ridiculous ways. It's like, just <laughs> a- acting this way is not going to get you what you want in life. 
So you probably shouldn't do that if for no other reason, like you'll just be happier if you mm. don't. And I also recognize that there's three other acts of the play that preceded that where, you know, I personally think that on some level, there are some black folk who engage in a lot of self-sabotage partially because they've seen their elders do it. And I think part of the reason why their elders do it is because just the trauma of living as we've lived in this country has just made them so pained and uh, uh, yeah, such a diminished sense of self-worth and just like so much just like visceral hatred that like when, when the very kind of obvious white bigot disappeared and it's like, oh, well, you're kind of my friend, but maybe not. It's like, you don't know where to direct that. And a lot of that just, mm -hmm. it has boomeranged back on us. Yeah. I think also, you know, when we have situations like, uh, you know, Black Wall Street, Rosewood, I'm sure a whole other host of neighborhoods that I don't yeah, even yeah. know about. Absolutely. When like we do everything that we're supposed to do and we get bombed and nuked and then like all of that's done and the government's like, did that really happen? Or did you right. drop a bomb on yourself? Right. And then the insurance company's like, yeah, but no, we're, we're not going to compensate you for that. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're an insurance company. That's what you do. Yeah. Then I think that there is an element of like, why the fuck should I try? Mm -hmm. Now, I think that a lot of maybe folks now kind of don't know like this, the, the, the singularity that that emanated from. And like, mm -hmm. so like they're getting a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. Right, right, right. right. So like th that needs to be unpacked and untangled, but like it's coming from a thing. Yeah. And, and so, and again, if at the end of the day, a singular family or a small group of people of any color understand that and are wrestling with that and are still like, Okay, but I don't know if sending my kid to X school is going to, like, change that. Because, like, it won't. Mm -hmm. Like, I at least, at the very least, want you to engage in the investigation of, like, okay, so why, why is this school this way? Because it's not just niggers don't know what to do. That's right. not the case. No, 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 no. And, and that's, that is a big thing of what I have a problem with is it's like, meh, mm -hmm. they should act better. And yeah. that's, that's kind of the undercurrent, you know what I mean? Um a white person can't talk to me about violence in a black neighborhood. Y'all sure. have, for the past 500 years, waged violence on the globe. Yeah. On, on the very environment itself. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I don't want to hear shit about, you know, some kid that shot some other kid. I don't want that to happen. Right. And I do want solutions. Mm -hmm. But coming from um, a perspective of... Uh, you know, judgment where it's like, you know, oh, they those those neighborhoods, you yeah. know, they're 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 sketchy. Mm -hmm. This planet is sketchy. Yeah. Because of y'all. Mm -hmm. And that's that's historical fact. You know what I mean? Europeans have waged war around the planet. Uh, you know, toppled elected governments, mm -hmm. colonized, yeah. all this other stuff. So, you know, white, you know, uh urbanites hand wringing about you know violence in the hood i get it nobody wants yeah. to catch a bullet you know what i mean but it, there's always so much of that right that i'm willing to hear yeah. from white folks and especially considering that y'all benefit from a system that you know keeps these neighborhoods in the the mm -hmm. condition that yeah. they're in you know what i mean so it's yeah it's complicated it's even complicated to talk about because mm -hmm. you know I don't know. I don't want to be 
you know, showing white people the ways in which they fucked up all day. I'd right. rather be trying to heal some black folks. Yeah, you know what I mean? Most definitely. So, yeah, it's just, oh, it's like a whole fucking mess. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I could I could talk about this for hours, but you know we we can talk about that off offline. There there is something that I just you know, there's a couple of questions that I have, you know, and then we'll we'll wrap up in a few minutes. You know, I want to be mindful of your time, and uh-huh. I appreciate you, you know, coming and conversing with yeah, me. Yeah, I, absolutely. It's, hopefully, this you know this this has been you know good and enlivening and yeah. stimulating for yeah. you. Hope- th- this is the second um, really deep dive interview that I've done. Uh, stomach growling. Gotta get some food. Yeah. yeah. Um, in the past, uh, let's say like two or three weeks. Okay. So right. it's yeah, it's interesting because I'm usually I interview people. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. You know what I mean. So I'm usually or maybe like every other day. Right. So I'm usually the one who's like trying to like dig into somebody's life story or mm-hmm. personality mm-hmm. or their process or all of that. So it's interesting to give this much twice yeah this month yeah you know you know yeah what I'm yeah saying? yeah most definitely yeah. most definitely so i'm i'm wondering if um who are the either like the the kind of european electronic artists that like you really really dig you know so like you know that could be broad european you know kind of electronic music or it could be kraut rock part mm-hmm. part, of, part of the reason why i'm asking is like I want to know more about these bands, you know, yeah, yeah. and personal referrals usually mean more to me than like, I don't know, reading on the internet. Yeah. You know, Kraftwerk is the best band ever. So yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. who, who are like the, yeah, the European electronic bands that like really get your, your ears uh, a fluttering when you hear their Specifically stuff. electronic music or not? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, and the reason why I'm asking is, or, or I'll broaden it. Europe specifically European bands because yeah I'm not interested in like white American bands or like yeah, yeah, from yeah. Australia or whatever but <laughs> U- European music that at least um either just speaks to you just for whatever or like sp- speaks to you like as like oh like you know this can really add something to the hip-hop narrative of the music you're creating yeah um, does that make sense what I'm saying no no absolutely absolutely I don't know how much well I, I can speak to um, two bands in particular that have added a lot to the music that I create yeah. and have like deeply, deeply influenced me. Um, for starters, Kraftwerk. Okay. Absolutely. Um, their album, Trans Europe Express, mm-hmm. to me, um, the album is it's a lot of like, you know, a lot of what we were uh, talking about earlier about uh, post war Germany a group of, you know, young creative people who were just trying to do something different. Yeah. Apparently there's a story that um the two founding members of Kraftwerk, uh, one of the first concerts that they went to together, they took acid and saw uh Carl Heinz uh Stockhausen. Awesome. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. <laughs> so which is you know, you have this, you know, um, meeting yeah, of yeah. psychedelic drug culture, yeah, youth yeah. culture, and European avant-garde yeah. kind of meeting. Right, And right. then Kraftwerk yeah. grew out of that. Um, but that record, to me, uh, Trans-Europe Express, um, I don't think, I, I honestly think that it's a critique of European uh exceptionalism and the European exceptionalism that 
produced fascism mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. of this other mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. colonialism. Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know, some writers, like their take on the record has been that it's a futurist manifesto, right. which it kind of is. Sure. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel to me like they're uh, celebrating the great European yeah. way. Yeah. It feels dark. It feels like a critique. It has this undertone. Um, so, like, there's a song, um, uh, Showroom Dummies, mm. where mm-hmm. they're talking about, you know, um, commercialism yeah. and, like, you know, the human experience as, you know, plastic and, yeah. and fake and yeah, all this yeah. other stuff. So, it, the record to me, in addition to its relationship to hip hop through, you know, Planet Rock right, and yeah. Africa Bambata, um, it feels like a, a critique of the way Europe behaved in the world in the 20th century, mm, mm-hmm. if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. It's and, yeah, gorgeous, and I, beautiful yeah. record, you know what I mean? I love to put it on and go to mm-hmm, sleep, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I love like warm, yeah, comforting yeah. sounding music. Um, so yeah, d- definitely... Um, their album, uh, Trans Europe Express, yeah. is like a big one for me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, see, and so what what I love about that, I feel like that statement really encapsulated a lot of what I've wanted to do with this podcast. Because mm-hmm. because one of the things that I've I've had a, a bit of a challenge in explaining to some of the people that I've reached out to about this, because you know, a lot of times when I say like black artists talking about white influences, yeah. I think people's mind goes to like the sort of the the Ken Burns jazz thing of like I think that they think I'm looking for this to be a kumbaya like isn't it great how like Benny Goodman had an integrated band and it's like that's not what I'm going for right right like right. if that's what you think I want to hear that and I want to hear why or if you're like fuck Benny Goodman I want to hear that and I want to hear why absolutely um so and and a lot of it because one of the things I firmly believe is that and i'm i'm not in the business of my priority is not to advance white people's thoughts and to make white people like first and foremost i live and work to support black people mm-hmm. and if in the process of that white people get healing and reconciliation and catharsis it's cool yeah. it's it's not my focus it's like, just gravy yeah yeah it's just gravy and i, I do think that like the american republic would greatly benefit from white people hearing black people talk about white people because as opposed to many times the theoretical uh, white person who like wants to write for the source, it's like a lot of us have have really like so grown up so like encapsulated by white culture. Mm-hmm. And the thing that the statement I always make is, and I, I will take this wherever I go, I feel like I know white people better than they know themselves because I'm right. I was so immersed in the culture mm-hmm. for decades seeing it behind closed doors but I also have the outsider perspective of not fully being accepted so I I have a dispassionate observation absolutely and an emotional connection yeah. and so so your um uh you know uh thoughts around craft work is like the the apex of what this podcast is about because mm. clearly just as you know, as entertainment it appeals to you, mm-hmm. as cultural critique it appeals to you, like the aesthetic of it appeals to you, like Absolutely. you know, sort of the the audacity of it appeals to you, and you're also, you know, looking at it, you know, as this crit- critical critique 
of like a trademark of Europeanness, which is expansion, warfare, colonialism, yeah. fascism. They, and Germany is kind of like, at least in modern times, I think is kind of the poster child of it, if only yeah. because, well, two of the most defining wars of the modern era, like centered around you Absolutely. and they fed off of each other. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. This, I just wanted uh, just you sparked an idea in my mind that uh, I had thought about with that record before. The the my favorite song on that uh, album by Kraftwerk is called Europe Endless, mm. and it's just Europe Endless. They're just singing that, yeah, yeah, and it's it it feels like you know like 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 uh, it conjures up all these ideas of. Um, like why is the world the way that it is mm-hmm. where where it's, you know Europe and uh you know America are so hell bent on expanding endlessly yeah. conquering all of these people you know what i mean so it's just it was really that song yeah. um and i would love to uh speak with the members of the band at some point cuz i you know i have my own theories sure, about what sure. a record is about yeah. but i like to go to the source yeah. as well um, I would love to talk with them about that. They're not like really good with like doing interviews right, and shit. Yeah. Um, but that song kind of unlocked the key of mm-hmm. the rest of the record. Yeah, I was laying there listening to it, and they're just singing like about Europe, endless and endless Europe and expansion. And I was like, this whole fucking thing is about colonialism yeah. and fascism yeah. and what what Europe sees itself and has seen itself as. And what these younger people are responding to mm-hmm. and being like, we don't want to be that. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. 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 That's powerful. Um, yeah. I was just going to yeah. say the and the second one, mm-hmm. we were talking yeah. about European bands, uh, My Bloody Valentine. Mm. I don't really have um, much of a uh, sure. philosophical insight. Yeah. Their shit is like pure sound and emotion. Yeah for me okay and that's like the their album loveless everybody mm-hmm. who knows rock music knows that album um i you know however many years later i think i, I discovered it as like a junior in high school mm-hmm. so maybe like 20 years later yeah. i still listen to it like it's like brand new yeah. to me and it's it's kind of like an emotional uh well that i go back to you know what I mean? And a lot of the music that I make is sample-based hip-hop and mm-hmm. is rooted in hip-hop. Um, but a lot of the top-end, you know, higher frequencies mm-hmm. are, you know, a pull from My Bloody Valentine, or at least the, the feeling I try to evoke. Why do you think that is? Um, I think it's, I you know, honestly, for me... Um, Somebody, there was like a thing on Twitter going around where it was like, uh, describe yourself in two musicians. Mm, mm-hmm. And musicians were like, you know, Jimi Hendrix and Bob Marley yeah, or yeah. like Bob Dylan and Springsteen or whatever. And the two that just rang off in my mind, in my spirit, were Kevin Shields of My Bloody Valentine and Pete Rock. Mm, Pete Rock mm-hmm, and CL Smooth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I chop samples, I make beats, I make very much hip hop music, but I'm always trying to marry it with this uh psychedelic feeling. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So those those yeah. are like my two guys. That's you know? okay. This is this this is good. So uh 
I, I'm I'm loving a lot of this, and I'm I'm realizing that there's. <laughs> Uh, we're gonna yeah. have to do a part two. We, we we may have to do a part two. Well, but before we wrap this up, I realize like we didn't even really like you know talk talk about the the one album of yours that you know that you know I I had a chance to listen to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like what because what ends up happening is I'm like yeah we're gonna talk about art and da 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 and then we end up like going into these deep dives about the meaning of life and then it's like Absolutely. oh we should uh, talk about this thing yeah, but yeah. you know but it's it, it this is it's all a part of the you know it's all part of the the gumbo I guess. Absolutely. All right. So so your album Southwest Psycho- Psychedelia. Delphia, yeah, right. Southwest psychedelic, psychedelphia. Yeah, yeah. Yes, because yeah, psychedelic Philadelphia. Yeah, (laughs) you got it. You got it. Yeah, it's a it's it's a mouthful. And and I I had it written on the notebook, but I didn't want to like bring out my notebook and yeah, yeah, you know, I'm trying to be in the moment. I learned that was the first record that I like officially released on like a label and everything. I learned to not give people uh, word salad. Yeah. With album titles. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, so, it's all good. It's all good. I love it. I love it. So uh, what, What? Uh, you know, because for the maybe 12 people that are now listening to the punk rock barbershop, <laughs> uh, you know, people learn that, you know, h- half the time, you know, when I'm talking, you know, I just end up talking about myself, you know, most of the time, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm I feel like I'm a fairly good listener, but eventually yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I always bring it back to myself. I feel you. So I, I feel good because, um, Everything that you said in the interview, like I feel like I got from the music and for the artwork for that album cover mm-hmm. because because I remember, you know, I don't know if you remember this, um, you know, when we when we were exchanging emails, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, oh, well, like the music reminds me of Open Mike Eagle, which I don't even know if you know who that yeah, is. Yeah, OK, yeah. Yes. Because my wife is like, uh, who is he? Yeah. 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 She, she likes the banger. She doesn't like the alternative quote unquote <laughs> art rap. She's not really that into, but yeah, like yeah. you give her some bangers or she likes the very introspective, like she likes how Kendrick does his introspection. Oh, yeah. I, so she likes introspection, but like hard and tough, you know, yeah, and yeah. Goodfellas is one of her favorite movies, you know, so she likes character studies, but Hell like yeah. with a lot of bodies, you know, yeah, yeah. buried. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so so I'm I'm like oh yeah I'm like this feels like open mic eagle meets Carl Heinz Stockhausen mm-hmm. so you know um and, and then when I when I sent that out I'm like uh I he might not have any idea of like who these people are but not only do you know who they are but you're referencing them yeah yeah, yeah. in uh, I, I think I've mentioned Stockhausen like three times yeah like three times yeah so my my like my soul has lifted every time you have um so and and you know and I can't remember how you described it but. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But when you were talking about, um, uh, you know, Pete, uh, um, yeah, Pete Rock and, uh, and Kevin Shields, yeah, and Kevin Shields, and yeah, there were like a couple of things that you said. But I even remember looking at the, um, at the album cover, you know, for that album, Southwest Psychedelphia. Got it. Boom! I, I yeah, <laughs> right. And he sticks the landing. Hey. Um. Yeah, like I was looking at it and I'm like, yeah, I'm like this feels like like Afrofuturist Blade Runner. Like it's kind of yeah. like, you know, African aesthetic, like not necessarily like dystopic future, but like a hyper gritty realism of like, yeah. you know, like, you know, like this is the underbelly of like, you know, the world that we're in. And and what I liked about the the album is that like there it wasn't uh like a fetishization of grit like it wasn't like this is the hardest grittiest toughest shit yeah, i mean yeah, like yeah. it was like oh yeah like this is catchy and this is provocative and this is political and this is sort of like ambient uh like relaxing yeah but but it it wasn't necessarily like you know i don't know yeah it yeah it felt like i don't know like 
hip hop velvet underground kind of. You know what? I'm stop you right there. It's interesting that you said that because the artwork, so that bridge mm-hmm. that's uh, featured in on the album cover, uh, my homeboy Adrian took the photos of that bridge because I knew I wanted to use yeah. it for the album art. A uh, graphic designer from the South named Kriga, K-R-I-G-G-A, amazing like Afrofuturist collage artist. Mm-hmm. I actually met him at... Um, the Afrofuturist Affair Charity Ball oh, a couple years okay, yeah, ago. Yeah. And we like stayed in touch on mm-hmm, social media. Mm-hmm. So I took these images that Adrian had uh, taken photos of and had him do like a collage yeah. art out of it. And one of the album covers that we referenced was uh, Loaded by the mm, Velvet Underground. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I sent him a, yeah. uh image of that album cover. You see it's like a bridge, yeah. and it has like the weird little like mm-hmm, psychedelic cover mm-hmm, uh, colors mm-hmm. like emerging from the bridge. I told him I wanted this bridge in West Philly or Southwest Philly to look like this, but like a portal mm, opening mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. So you see the two figures yeah, standing yeah. at the gates, and the rest of it is kind of like this portal yeah. opening up. And that's when you go, because like, okay, so that bridge is on Warrington, which is considered West Philly. Okay. When yeah. I was a kid, before white people lived right. there, it was considered Southwest. Mm-hmm. But once you walk over that bridge, all of that is black folks through the portal, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Mm-hmm. All of that other side that you don't see yeah. is black folks. And that's what's considered now Southwest gotcha. Philly. You know what I yeah. mean? So, it's crazy you brought up the Velvet Underground because that loaded was definitely um, like the influence mm, for the mm-hmm. the album art. Yeah, yeah, interesting, man. Okay, I love it. I love it. Uh, well, um, John, I want to thank you so much. Thank for, you, man. This absolutely, I I really appreciate you. Um, yeah, coming through, uh, conversing with me. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Um, uh, Please let people know again for the hopefully thirteen people that listen <laughs> to this. Just keep adding them. As just, we, we, go. Just, we keep adding. They're, they're racking them up. Um, yeah. So where can people find your various uh, artistic manifestations? Um, you can definitely find me um, at Serious Rap Shit on Twitter. Um, you can also find me at John J O H N underscore Liberator L I B E R. Uh, uh t uh a t o r l i b e r a t o r john underscore liberator at twitter also on instagram um nobody uses facebook so don't even worry about it <laughs> um also uh starting december 3rd serious rap shit we just signed a deal with uh iheart media nice so serious awesome. rap shit is going to be every fucking where. nice <laughs> you know what i mean right now where the, where can they find it right now you can find us everywhere pretty yeah. pretty much like you yeah. can find us um on soundcloud spotify um apple music or, or itunes or yeah. whatever it yeah, is what, now yeah, whatever the thing is you know what i mean so yeah anywhere you can get podcasts you can look up serious rap shit and you can find us uh but we're gonna be on like a bigger yeah. platform starting December 3rd. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, yeah. That's so cool. I'm like so legitimately happy for Thank you. you. Man. That's it's, so cool. It's really fucking exciting. Yeah. I don't even know if I'm supposed to be like telling people about this shit yeah. yet, but mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. We, but, signed, we signed a deal and they awesome. paid us money. So. Gotcha. That's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> we could we could talk about it. Yeah. I, I feel like, uh, yeah, you're, if it's supposed to be a secret, yeah, you know, the, only 13 people listen to this podcast <laughs> thus far. So it's not going to get in the ears of, uh, I don't know, uh, Jane, uh, CEO exec. I don't right. Know. So, so you're good. Uh, yeah. Well, John, thank you so much. I really thank appreciate you, this. Um, yeah. This is been absolutely wonderful it's been a super just enlivening conversation for me i appreciate you um yeah and i just want you know i i appreciate the just like the responsiveness that you like had over email i mean like you didn't know me and you were just like very responsive and friendly from the jump which i thought was great you know i mean you you reached out so i'm already excited but then when you explained um what we would be talking about i was like oh hell yeah yeah i have so many thoughts and opinions yeah. on being black and also being black and, you know, having a relationship to white music. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I actually, uh, as a writer, would love to be, you know, outlets pitch me mm-hmm. black music. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because that's like my thing. Yeah. I would love to write about white music yeah. more. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then get into like cultural and like historical context. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah this is like. This is like a pleasure for me. Awesome. Awesome. To do this. Thank you so much. And uh, all right, folks. Well, that that is it. We're going to let John get about his day and, uh, you know, take in this wonderful Sunday. So, yeah, you've been listening to the Punk Rock Barbershop coming to you from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, or as I like to call it, Marion Anderson City. And for all of you that are listening, I hope you find your story and I hope you find your truth. Have a good day.